0: greetings fellow wanderers in the fourth dimension and welcome one and all to the greatest show in the galaxy podcast my name is emma foster and i am drunk welcome (laughs) and uh, (laughs) and um well (laughs) shut up the hell was that
1: (laughs) i love that giggle that was awesome
0: (laughs) (laughs) you put me off and hang on a second wait 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 take two Greetings fellow Wanderers in the Fourth Dimension and welcome one and all to the Greatest Show in the Galaxy podcast. My name is Emma Foster and joining us in a very special end of series wrap-up episode all the way from Starbase 66 coming via what we would see here as snail mail on the shuttlecraft is Mr. (laughs) Admiral Marius. Welcome Rick. Hello. And joining us also... From the Greatest Events in Sporting History podcast is Mr. Shane Thomas. Hello, sir.
2: Evening. You got the title right. <laughs> I hate you for that. <laughs>
0: I think the, the best way to say his podcast, mate, is just leave all the Gs out of it. Greatest Events in Sporting History podcast. Leave all those yeah. tricky consonants out of it and it works. And also, my cohort through all of this nonsense, Mr. Michael Mould. Hello, sir. I'm here too. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, and I'm Emma Foster. Did I say that already? you uh, did, a couple uh, times. Yes. Alright then, cool. Um so let's wrap up series eight with this here show. Go. It sucked. Goodbye. No, get <laughs> the fuck out of here with that, voice.
3: You shut <laughs> your face.
0: No, honestly, we're gonna do it properly and all that. We've got an we've got plans and everything. So we're gonna talk about what's up first, Mike, what's on our slate? Uh Peter Capaldi is the doctor. Amazing. Next subject. Yeah. <laughs> I, no, seriously. I would,
1: like to, I would like to say that I think that uh, now. Granted, my experience with pre uh, pre Eccleston Doctors is limited to pretty much one and a smattering of others. But uh, maybe best Doctor ever possible, but definitely best Doctor since the reboot. Mm-hmm. Ac- actor, mm-hmm. Acting, acting, mm-hmm. nice actor to play the Doctor. I mean.
0: Yeah, I think you hmm. might be on to something. I think it depends what you want out of a doctor. I think um, that something we're going to talk about a lot in this episode, or I'm going to talk about a lot about this episode, whether you want me to or not, is the <laughs> fact that um, this is the doctor that a lot of people wanted, and this is the performance that I think, or well, this is the the idea of the doctor that a lot of people wanted to see more alien, more more standoffish, and this is what we wanted from everybody uh well, we wanted from the doctor and there we go this is what we got and what you know whether there's something that we actually want or not i don't know so
1: it's not the doctor we want but it's the doctor we deserve
0: <laughs> yeah, <perhaps> so
2: <laughs> Shane uh, my take on Capaldi, i was like happy when he cast off what is a good choice um i think it took me a while to get used to him which maybe is why I didn't like the start, uh, start of Series 8, because, uh, yeah, he's definitely different to anything that we had since, what, 2005? 2005, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah. Um, he's different than anything we had before, so it even though you kind of knew he was going to be different, mm-hmm. it's, it's, you still had to slightly recalibrate, um, unless you had the um, context of the older version of the show. You had to kind of recalibrate what you were expecting, Firm mm. uh, the character as the best all-round actor that we've seen since the reboot. Probably uh, that's that's probably a good shout. Uh, he's not my favourite doctor yet, but he's definitely a good one. I enjoyed him more. My main pro- issue with it wasn't so much him or the performance he gave, but the kind of specs that he had to act to. Because um, even though, he, as everyone said, like he was definitely more alien, not as uh, not as gregarious, not as not as warm, mm. and not as and not as human. Be- and it's kind of it, you can't you can't really avoid it, but because it's obviously been helmed by Stephen Moffat, there is a lot of I felt Moffat's version of Sherlock Holmes in this, and I know that Sherlock the original Sherlock Holmes was a big influence on the character of the Doctor. <laughs> So it's not surprising to be some similarity, but at times I look at it and he's like, and it it comes off more the way it's written than the way it's acted. But mm. I could see coming to Sherlock saying those exact same lines in those exact same situations. Yeah, Ch- change mm. a few char- change a few character names here and there. Um, even though I enjoyed this series a lot more than the last one, which wouldn't be difficult. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, snap. <laughs>
2: that, that's it. Well, the whole underlying thing of Mo- Moffitt's half of his brain being occupied with Sherlock still kind of hangs over the show.
1: Well, yeah, the the, the writing has been fucking pathetic. <laughs> Pardon my French for a lot of this. But, you know, when I think back to, like, Tom Baker, who is my doctor, um, I, I think Capaldi has the same detachment. You know, I, I, as much as I enjoyed Tennant and Smith, um, I think they got a little too warm and fuzzy. Mm-hmm. and you know certainly there was that 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 whole uh, Russell T Davies unresolved sexual tension bullshit that I've gone on at length in various podcasts about <laughs> um but i i think Capaldi's doctor is much more like at, at least Tom Baker i mean he was he was certainly warm and affable and silly and goofy and and you know more car- more cartoony than what we've been getting in the last uh 8 years 9 years whatever uh but he was also you 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 could easily see tom baker's doctor tossing a planet into the fire if necessary and you could certainly see capaldi doing that too and that's i think that's what i as much as i bitched about how distant he was and what an asshole he was uh, I, ultimately i really liked his his performance
2: yeah. well, the, one, the one thing that capaldi brings that the others probably didn't bring with the exception of eccleston was there is a hint of danger with this yes. exactly
1: and that's why I Eccles, not, I it's, loved it's, yeah, Eccleston. And
2: it's not even so much what Capaldi did in the series, it's just what you thought he might do. Mm. yeah.
3: Yeah, I mean just like take a look at uh, Deep Breath when he seemingly abandons Clara. I mean, you sort of like know back in the back of your head that no, it's he's he's got a plan, he's going to turn this around. But there is a like a moment, I think we even mentioned this in the Deep Breath uh, review Emma, where you sort of like think, "Oh shit, has he really done that?" Yeah.
0: I mean there's genuinely a second there where you don't think he's going to come back and that is that is on un- that is something that's pretty unprecedented for for post 2005 Doctor Who. Mm. This whole idea that you know your safety net that is the doctor is is you know maybe not as reliable as you once hoped and could truly do anything is something pretty new to a post 2005 viewership
2: and also a young viewership.
0: Yeah. Mm. Well, well, look at
1: look at the end. Uh, and pardon me if I'm the the name of the episode was Dinosaurs on a Spaceship, wasn't it?
3: Yes, yeah.
0: yes.
2: Okay. But, so before at- we go any further, I'm just mm-hmm. we are obviously spoiling everything. Yeah.
1: Oh, oh yeah. Well,
2: yeah. <laughs> oh look, they're
0: used to that by now. If they're watching, okay. if they're listening to the show. <laughs> um,
1: you know, at the end of Dinosaurs on a Spaceship, when uh, the Doctor killed the dude, I mm. was shocked. I was like, wow, he outright murdered that guy. Awesome. But it was a <laughs> it was a surprise. <laughs> well, that's the thing you don't expect it from Matt Smith, Doctor. Exactly. But Capaldi, you know, it, he, he could, you know, it was very obvious that he had a much different, you know, he was much more in the big picture. Mm.
0: He's much more pragmatist, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. Now, admittedly, you know, like in episodes like Mummy on the uh, on the Orient Express, it went a little too far for me. When he's like, you know, quit whining about the fact that you're about to die and tell me what you see. That was a little... That crossed a line. That bothered me. Uh, but that, again, that wasn't Capaldi's fault. That was the writing. But I mean, it, it felt real coming from him. He certainly pissed me off, and I didn't stop for a moment to think that, you know, it was just Capaldi being, you know, doing something. It was the doctor was pissing me off.
2: Yeah, I mean, he is, he is kind of very much the Monica The Uncoming Storm works a lot more with Capaldi. And in terms of the final uh, narrative, Dunham, in terms of what the Master plans at the end, for a second it does, bec- and mainly because Capaldi, you do wonder if the Doctor will turn and accept the Master's offer. Mm. Right, at the, right at the end, you yeah. might not. Have, you, you probably wouldn't have with Smith or even Tennant. You'd have thought, yeah, that's not going to happen. But Capaldi it leaves you until he gives that monologue at the end. It leaves you thinking, mm, he might. He just might. He might. He might take her up on the offer.
1: Could you have imagined Capaldi's doctor in the dilemma in the uh, in the the um, with the war doctor and all that with you know the wood here won't he push that button?
0: That's an interesting question, actually, because yeah. it much it, you you much more would have expected him to just go bang, bang push the button because yep. <laughs> <Bucket> he's <route. laughs> always the ultimate pragmatist. So he knows hmm. that in the in the yes column there's there are a few more ticks than in the no column. So he's one hundred percent going to go for it. There's no. There's no two ways about it. Mm. So shall we move on to Jenna
3: Coleman as Clara?
0: <sighs> much, I think much better served this year
3: mm.
0: by the stories. Um... But I will say that I think as a character, they just don't know what they wanted to do with her, I think. Yeah. They were so confused by all this impossible girl's baggage they'd given her last year. And... It just it just turned out that you know you've got stories where she's doing one thing and she's sort of her her point of view is one way and then the next story she's kind of a different way. I think they've never really known what to do with her beyond being this kind of trope machine of the impossible girl, and I think that that shows this series. Hmm.
1: I, I read an uh, uh, an article. Hang on, I, I, I saved it. Let me let me. Oh, I didn't save the the link to it. I read an article. Uh, last week, after you had asked me to join, uh, come onto this show, and it really—I'm and, and I, I, sorry—I don't remember who wrote it or where I found it, but uh, it really clist, crystallized. Sorry, I've been drinking too. It's it's Sunday, and I root for the Bucks, so I have to drink. Um,
2: <laughs> yeah, you, you, ran, you ran, you ran, you Chicago close, but yeah, you did win.
1: Oh, they—they they won?
2: No, 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 no. It was close.
1: Ah, oh, okay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it was a one-score
1: game. Oh, yeah. The, the The bucks are notor are wonderful at snatching defeat from the jaws of victory um, anyway uh it it really crystallized my opinions on clara i I love Jenna louise Coleman. I think she's a marvelous actor I think she's one of the most beautiful people on the planet
0: uh sure.
1: you know genetics were very nice to her uh, but the writers have never known what to do with her and my problem with her at the beginning was after Karen Gillen left, they brought clara in they brought jenna louise coleman in and all of a sudden they expected us to buy that the doctor and clara had a relationship that was almost if not stronger than the the amy pond relationship but they only built it up over a couple of episodes and i always had a problem with that and now they are they've it seems like they've taken this entire season to get us ready for her leaving and i don't think anybody cares you know, if she were to leave right, if 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 the end of the season was her last episode, as they've been keep trying to telegraph. You know, they've it's been doing not. pump fakes for three episodes now. No, it's, it's not. It's not. I. I there was no press. But you know, uh, yeah. I, there was no. Uh,
2: now she's in the Christmas special.
1: Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. But you know, there were the rumors about her leaving, and when I heard the rumors about her leaving, I was like, um, okay. I. You know, I'll I'll miss looking at her pretty face, but that's about it. I don't think she was given anything to work with i I think they they went too fast at the beginning and too slow at the end here and you're right they have no idea what to do with her after the impossible girl storyline was wrapped up there seemed to be no more point in keeping her around and it Mm. really has felt like they've been trying to figure out what to do with her ever since
2: um it was i think the job of like i imagine of any actor um is normally to kind of take what you've been given and if you can try and improve it on um on screen whether it's like tv or film that i think coleman did because i think i said when we were on your show rick reviewing the last series that i couldn't properly appraise her i didn't know whether she was any good or not because you it would not be fair to judge her on what she got last series yeah that's just that'd have been unfair to judge her um i think now we've seen that she actually is a good actor and hopefully she won't she was she was on to be on that list of like worst companion ever that was where she, that was the road she was heading down, and I think she's been she's managed to rescue herself from that mainly because of her performances. I agree with Emma when Emma's saying they didn't know what to do. I think the tactic was just get her on screen as much as possible, and, and mm. it was a, that was just get her on screen as much as possible, and she'll work it out once you put the camera in her. Which, to, to a extent, I think happened. Um, the depiction of Clara wasn't faultless; had big problems with it. Emma brought a lot of them up on the Caretaker episode in terms of the characterisation. Oh, don't. I'm going to rage out, man. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. In, in terms now, I, I think
0: yeah. as well, I mean, what you're saying is completely correct with her. And I think as well, they sort of struggled as with the... We've got now the expectation there's going to be a storyline and that we expect a character progression from episode one to episode 12 or 13 or whatever it might be. But with Clara, it didn't feel like they had that going, that it was like that old school thing of like, we just have a character who says the lines that we need to move the story forward. Mm-hmm. And really we haven't thought about anything else with her. Do you see what I mean?
2: Yeah. I yeah. also, I also wonder, um, and I've got, this is just speculation. I've got no you know evidence for this or knowledge, but I wonder how much of my opinion when Karen Gillen and Arthur Darvel were there, and obviously Matt Smith, there was a real good, harmonious interplay between the three of them, and they all ended up becoming good friends in real life. And you can sometimes see... And they showed great on-screen chemistry, all of them. And mm. you could see that in their performances, where they're, they're taking average material, making it good, good material, making it great, which is what you can do when you've got two actors, or three, four actors with good chemistry on screen. And there was almost a feeling, an enjoyable feeling of comfort as... And they put this actually in their storyline. Like, it'll always be like this. And I think when Gillen and Darva were like, okay, we're done now. I don't know how ready Moffat was. I mean, Moffat knew that it's not going to last forever. Of course, no, he's, he's not, he's not ig- ignorant to that. But I don't know if he'd really properly thought, okay, what am I going to do if I could put someone new in? Like, how, how's that actually going to work? I wonder if mm-hmm. I, wonder, I wonder if it caught him by surprise. I wonder if he wasn't... Maybe the, their departure came sooner than he would have liked.
0: Mm. Possibly, and because
2: mm. you could get the feeling with Clara, particularly in this series, that they've been playing catch up. So much of getting her on screen, as much as you could this series, was well, we completely shat the bed last time, so we're <laughs> almost we're, so we're almost having to give her more just to redeem the character and give the character stuff to do in the eyes of the viewers. And sometimes that will that if you're going to put so much focus there, then other stuff's obviously going to suffer because other things that might need equal attention aren't going to get as much attention. Mm. Case in point, the cast now, Danny.
1: Oh.
0: <laughs> oh, God. Shall we move on to Danny then?
1: Mm-hmm. You, you know what uh, uh, I was just going to mm-hmm. say is that uh, when you, uh, like Shane just mentioned, and I almost did, and I actually stopped myself, is when you mention Amy or Carrie Gillen, it, it's second nature to say Amy and Rory. Or Karen Gillan and Arthur Darville. Uh, hmm. I have never in my life said Clara and Danny. <laughs> and I think maybe no, this was the true. first time. And, you know, I, I'm just thinking about this now. I've been making excuses saying that Clara had no chemistry with Matt Smith. Clara had no chemistry with... Uh, with... Samuel,
2: Samuel Anderson, his name is.
1: Oh, oh, right. Um
2: Oh, so you mean Capaldi? Capaldi.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: I think that's her lack of chemistry with kind of everyone. (laughs) (laughs) has kind of been (laughs) a problem. And I think that she has had, I mean, I think she has had some mediocre chemistry with Capaldi more than she ever did with Matt Smith. I don't know. It Mm. just always rang hollow with me with Smith. But I mean, I think overall, she just really hasn't clicked on screen with the people as much as maybe she has on off screen.
2: Yeah, I, I agree, but I'm loath to criticize her too much for that because that's yeah. you can't you you can't really know until you put someone together.
0: No, I agree. Yeah? yeah, I mean it's
2: you know I mean it's like if you if you're a you're head of a sports team and you buy two talented players and you think we'll put them together and they'll make magic happen on on field or on court, <laughs> and hey, they don't and they just don't have it.
0: I'm a Detroit Lions fan. I fucking <laughs> know that's all me up. Yes,
2: yeah, exactly. You think you think on paper it should work because he's talented, she's talented. Give them good material. And, that being said, oh, I would
0: leave my husband and, for Golden Tate right now.
2: <laughs> and, and, and away we go. But with, yeah, with, as you said, with the chemistry that Coleman just didn't really have. That's, I
0: don't know what it is with that bird. Man. And,
2: and, and it's, it's an indefinable thing. So you can't, yeah. quantify, you can't say if they'd have done this, it would have worked. It's yeah. not really a matter of what they could have done. It's, it's slightly almost just, it's serendipitous when it works. And you just try and grab hold of it when it does happen because there's no True. if there's a way to put on like this if there is a way I don't know what it is.
1: Yeah. Well yeah. it 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 is a very ethereal thing, but you know we can't deny that the 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 triumvirate of Smith, Darville and and uh Gillen big time was that. It was the, and, and and granted, you know, uh uh you know those are big shoes to fill. Um but I think back on and and Check me on the names of these episodes, because I, you know, I'm terrible with names. Um, mm. the, the The last Met Smith episode was that night of the Doctor. No, it's uh, time of the Doctor. Time of the Doctor. Okay, when I think about that episode, I think of two things really stand out: the stupid ro- uh, wooden Cyberman, which made no fucking sense whatsoever, <laughs> um, and Karen Gillan being in the episode for two and a half seconds that actually broke me and made me cry. Oh, bless uh, you. Oh. <laughs> You know, and nothing else in that episode really stuck with me. And, mm. and you know, now we've had how long with Jenna Coleman and, and both Matt Smith and, and Michael, uh, Peter Capaldi. Michael, well, where's that fucking... <laughs> um, and it and it's just not there. And I think that the, the time has come, in my opinion, to say, thank you. You've done a, a fantastic job. You've done the best job you possibly could. But we don't know what to do with you. And it's time to move on. And And... One thing, and I, I said this on my show, and people were like, oh, no, River Song said you can't do this. <laughs> Bullshit. I think we need a doctor without a companion for a little while.
0: Well, I mean, I that, I has, like, that I just, has been attempted yeah. before, and it never really kind—it never seems to work out, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just purely for a narrative point of view, you need someone to talk to to explain to the audience what's going on.
2: The way it'd have to work, you'd have to have surrogate companions in each of his events. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah. like you're getting a lot of Christmas specials, and I don't know if you could do that for twelve weeks.
1: Well, not 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 for an entire season, but I think for a little while to shake the 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 writers out of their rut that they're stuck in.
2: Yeah, maybe yeah, that might work. I mean,
0: to but maybe- I, I I think that that's going to come down to losing Coleman though. I think to mm-hmm. be honest, and I think that she has been shown to be, at least be in the Christmas episode in some capacity but I think that she's probably going to be gone after it if I yes. could, if I can read kind of the, the land as it seems to be lying at the moment. So I think that we will have some sort of new companion. So I would be keen to see how Capaldi does with a companion that's not Clara hmm. and then kind of judge it from there. Otherwise, I think Capaldi is a strong enough actor that he could carry it. But you with an, a Doctor that's kind of as spiky as Capaldi is, you need a humanising element, that being the companion. So it's going to be very difficult to do it without one, I think. I mean, part well, that's of the, the issue, thing, yeah. do,
1: it, do it long enough that we're like, alright, we need somebody in there to tone him down. Yeah, See part, what it's like the, without yeah. one.
2: Because part of the issue as well is that if you have like surrogate companions over a series of weeks, then it's, it's kind of um, it would follow that you'd wonder, well, why does the Doctor just invite them to go travelling with him? <laughs> Which is what he does a lot of the time anyway. Um, and actually, just to go back to on your earlier point, just to piggyback that, you're talking about the chemistry between Darvel and Gillen and lack of it with like uh, Jenna Coleman and Samuel Anderson. If you'd have said to me, like, if it somehow come to come pass that Arthur Darvel and Karen Gillen went out for real, I don't think everyone would kind of go, yeah, I can see that. It makes total sense. Yeah. Where if you'd have heard that Samuel Anderson and Jenna Coleman were going out for real, you'd probably be, huh? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Fair enough, I don't see it
1: <laughs> And you know I I, I kind of see Where we're heading for Where we're going to start shitting on, on Danny And I don't think That's fair to him I think that his character Was very poorly written from the get go yeah, I, totally
0: hmm. I, I, I don't know what it is About this I, character I, I, totally I just, I think that I mean, you could presume that they sit down in a big room and hash out everything they're going to do from episode one to episode 12. But I feel like that someone was, like, hitting the bong, like, pretty hard (laughs) when they they got to talking about Danny because his character is so fucking weird. And Mm. I had such a massive rant about him in Caretaker. I actually listened back to the episode and I was slightly embarrassed about how much I went off about him. But his character is just fundamentally bollocks from beginning to end.
2: Ding, there was potential and I agree that he was dreadfully written. Mm. Uh, I don't think, even with even with a little, you can sometimes see if actors actor got something. There was nothing that Samuel Anderson had that made me think, if only he had better scripts, the character, yeah. would, be, the character would be miles better. I mean, it would help. Of course it'd help. But I don't, you know, I'm not even saying the guy's a bad actor because I've seen him in a couple of stuff but nothing major. I just don't think he was right—the right for that character. Okay. So it's a matter of it's a matter of poor casting, in addition to poor writing. Um, yeah. To use the sports knowledge again, it's, you know, you, you ain't going to play quarterback at wide receiver, are you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like he might have talent, just not as a wide receiver.
1: Well, the 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 whole thing about Danny, and it's it's one thing that's bugged me through this whole season. Uh, okay, Robots of Sherwood a robot of Sherwood, which was the second stupidest episode in this season. Yeah,
2: it was atrocious.
1: In my opinion. Oh,
0: come um, on, man. It wasn't
2: that bad. Hate, I hate it. I hate it. It was terrible.
0: Aww. <laughs> you people you have had... no whimsy. You need it's, some whimsy. Was it the no, chips?
2: no. Soul I, li- I, I like Doctor Who. Like, Dinosaur, the spaceship, is whimsy, and that was...
0: Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> the thing
1: got... that got me about... About Robot of Sherwood, and also the relationship between the Doctor and Danny Pink was that um, okay? We've got the Doctor comes out and he's like, "Haha, we're in Sherwood. Everybody's a robot." And then he finds out that Robin Hood isn't a robot, and yet the whole pissing contest goes on far too long for any rational, intelligent creatures to to do so. You know, it was funny at first, and then, you know, by the point where they're fighting over the keys and they kick them down the drain, I was like, this is the three stooges as uh, as Doctor Who, and I'm kind of done with this episode.
2: It had a lot, it had, it had, it, it had a lot of potential, because <laughs> I disliked the first three episodes of the series, so by the time Robots, the show had finished, I was thinking, I don't know if I can go for another nine weeks of this. Oh yeah, I I was I was I, I, I was think I was I I wasn't like I'm done, but I'm like I might just have to recalibrate my expectations and accept that this is where the show's at now. Yeah.
0: Hashtag filthy casuals. <laughs> <laughs> <Her>? <laughs> um
1: But then the whole the whole doctor with you know you know PE teacher. I I hate Danny for no other reason than he's a soldier bullshit.
0: Yeah, um, I think that, mm-hmm. that that whole element of the series was really fucked from day one. Mm-hmm. This whole thing about the doctor's hatred of soldiers and the military was was so overdone and it had no payoff.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And it was really unf- and it really again affected Danny's character in a really a negative way. Again, I sort of agree with what Shane says in the, you know, maybe this role was Cast wrongly and kind of wrong-headed from the beginning. Uh, just, uh, just
2: on that, by the way. Apparently, he was one of twelve people they saw.
0: Somewhere. Wow. Okay. So, who else did they? see Eleven people who were deemed not good yeah. enough. I mean, well, I think that- as well from me and Mike's perspective as doctor who fans who've been who fans for a long time i think that with this whole thing of we're going to have two teachers in the tardis again mm-hmm. we were both thinking back to series one oh, like, yeah. what, barbara ian and and series ian. one right Bob yeah barbara, exactly yeah. ian and barbara so you've got this whole idea of they're teachers and they're in love and they're in going around with the doctor they really want to go home and all this sort of thing so i think a lot of us were kind of expecting that sort of relationship and chemistry again. But when we've got this thing of Danny and the Doctor are butting heads all the time over this military thing, which is really ill-defined and nothing that we've seen from the Doctor before, Mm -hmm. it took our expectations. I mean, and as Who fans these days, we're used to having our expectations kind of messed with. But this idea, I think, really messed with it kind of a step too far. Mm -hmm. And so we were sort of doubly disappointed with Danny's character and Clara's being a teacher because before she was like an au pair and yes. or a nanny or something like that so she becomes a teacher and she's in the school in coal school where we we you know we've got all our ian barbara thoughts and all those kind of warm fuzzy feelings from before and moffat being moffat just takes a giant dump on him because <laughs> that's what he does well,
2: even with the thing about the teachers which i'm not i'm i don't have any i think that's a quite a good idea but coming back to how they didn't know what to do with clara i mean the whole teacher thing started I don't know if this was the reason for it, but so they could get that reference for the 50th anniversary special where you get Cole Hill scored in there. If you eagle-eyed, you spot Ian Chesterton's um, name down the bottom. And then it's like, oh, Clara works at the school. And it's like, oh, what a nice little reference. And then it's like, oh, we get- I guess we've got to make Clara a teacher now.
0: Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. that's the thing. I mean, because we talked about that when we did a commentary for Day, didn't we, yeah. Mike? And we were like, <laughs>
2: Yeah. When and that then, happened. Yeah. but now we it, go, uh... yeah. well, it's a great moment in and of itself but then if you're going to put your active companion in there then you have to do something with that and it was
0: Exactly yeah it, I mean, like they
2: had the, the the idea for the reference first and then shoehorn Clarence the a teacher afterwards rather than the other way around
0: Yeah it,
3: it's kind of like how they um handled like Clara as the impossible girl so like, they had the the impossible girl first and then it's like oh well we got to So it, in a way it's, it's kind of like mirroring itself well, if, if Emma, you may recall at the beginning of this season, before
1: you guys did your, your first episode of this season, uh, I contacted you because I, the, 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 uh, deep, uh, deep breath. Is that the one? Yeah. Is that the name? Yeah. Deep breath. Um, you know, we had Clara acting like she had no idea what to expect when a doctor regenerated. Yes. And I, and I, ca- and I called you and I was like, did I miss something? Cause I went back and rewatched, uh, the 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 name of the doctor yes to see if she had lost her memory at the end of that episode
0: (laughs) (laughs) i mean i think that as i said to you (laughs) oh bless you rick bless you rick
2: for thinking that was your fault
0: (laughs) (laughs) i mean with clara it is the whole different thing of experiencing the doctor's lives separately versus having to deal with someone who's completely different to the person that you've grown to love, in inverted commas. So there's kind of a difference between intellectually understanding the process of regeneration, which you did, Mm -hmm. and emotionally experiencing it, which is what we've kind of got in deep breath, which is, I, I think, in what my... How unlike me, Drunken Haze, I said to you in um <laughs> in the Facebook message that you sent me. Um so that was kind of my take on it. But yeah, I think a lot of people did sort of well were kind of somewhat thrown by Clara's reaction to um the Twelfth Doctor as we see him. But unfortunately, it's this thing that I keep that we keep coming back to in that the essence of drama is conflict, right? So we can't have Clara being like, "Yeah, thumbs up," when everyone else is like that because we need an opposition to that point of view to create drama to move this uh, to move this narrative forward, right? So that's the problem. You have to kind of make the companion your audience surrogate, even if that means changing everything that she we think that she knows.
1: Yeah, except it, it, and and that's been. I think I think that's been the problem. For most of this season, is that the conflict between the Doctor and Clara and the Doctor and Danny has been contrived to the point of not really making any sense?
0: Largely agree.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, my because uh, it sounds like the way we're talking, like we hated this series. Bar the first three episodes, I actually enjoyed most of it. I did enjoy a lot of it, and you know um, what? I, I've loved this of,
0: series too, and mm-hmm.
2: there's lots of good episodes in there, however with exception maybe, listen, there's not episodes that I will go my way to watch again in there. And part of the reason is I don't really want to uh, analyze them too much because then it'll be like, well, that, yeah, like, and that doesn't make sense. The continuity's yeah. off there. That's, yeah, that's just been shoehorned in. That's really contrived. That's That plot point's a bit artificial. And like, I haven't watched, with except for a couple of exceptions, I haven't watched any episode more than once. And I don't know if I, I'm not saying I never will. I just don't know if I'll go up my way to... Um, with this series and I do kind of think the, the quality of Capaldi and Coleman and some of the other supporting characters along the way have papered over a lot of cracks in you know the, in, if, if it's a building it's a building that needs a bit of renovation
4: yeah, and, yeah.
2: They just, and they just slapped a little bit of plaster over it and going, "See, look, it's fine." And it's like if you look from the outside, it is fine. If you go in the house and actually take a proper look around, you'd be like, "You need some work there, and there, and there, and that beams about to crash, and that and that roof's about to fall in."
0: Sounds like the house I live in now. <laughs> 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 the joys of Uh-oh. moving, like, moving house, ladies and gentlemen. The <laughs> oh god, yeah. The point where I had to put five buckets under our plastic roof. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, anyway, um... <laughs> yeah. You know, I've got to say, there's only been two.
1: As much as I've been bitching, and and I'll 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 bear the brunt of that. I've been I've been whining the most so far this evening. Uh, there's only been two episodes in this season that I really didn't like. And that was Robot of Sherwood and Kill the Moon. And those were both stupid as fuck. But uh, I don't come to Doctor Who for good science fiction. Oh, yeah, no, it's it's not, not, yeah. It's oh, not. not. Um, you know, it's a yeah. fantasy show. It's, a, it's supposed to appeal to a younger audience as well as an older audience. I get that. Um, but they've been making this concerted effort, especially since Moffat took over, uh, over the last few years to make the show much more serious and much darker and much grittier and so when they when that kind of collapses into inconsistency and just oh it's doctor who will just do this then it, it stands out even more
2: but to come on to your point about the increased like grittiness and darkness you know when it was airing on like bbc america isn't it over there mm-hmm. is it airing at the same time of day
1: uh yes. Be, be like, well, well, time of day doesn't really matter over here so much.
2: Yeah, because oh, oh yeah, because there's not so much a watershed here. The show aired later than I think Emma might know, but later than it has ever been. Mm. Yes, yes. Yeah. I think that there was one episode. Yeah. I
0: think Kill the Moon was on at eight thirty-five, which is the latest Doctor Who has ever been shown.
2: Yeah, I mean that goes that actually goes past the watershed. You could, you wouldn't do that, but you conceivably put swearing in that episode. You put you tits
0: it. in it. You we know, yeah. with tits. <laughs>
2: Yeah, you, you could. Once you go past nine o'clock,
1: <laughs> I'm not going to object to that concept. Uh. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and which felt, and I don't know if that was just happenstance or that was deliberate, and it gave him an excuse because there was a more eerie feel about definite bits in this episode, uh, this series, this whole series, and even uh, Emma touched on it in um, Dark Water, but the exploration of death and the exploration of f- um, cremating someone. And there were times... Oh, dude,
0: that was brutal for me.
2: And the, But there were times... I mean, that's just one example. There were a few things where I'm like... like eight-year-old kids might be watching this.
0: Yeah, seriously. Like, if, if I was eight and watching some of the... I mean, I've, something that I brought up, something kind of kind of facetiously in the past. But I think if I was eight watching this show now, I would never sleep again.
2: Yeah, I mean, Moffat has spoken about that. And he did say... I think that was deliberate in terms of the eeriness. And he did want it. Like, when he said when he was a kid, was the show that scared a shit out of him? And they are, to an extent, trying to make it be a show that does scare children.
1: Well, you know what? Let me, Speaking as a parent and as a teacher, um, I think it, it, when, when you all talking about, the, about Dark Water and about that, that concept, I don't think that really bothers children because that requires an empathy that doesn't develop until much later in life. I think things like Flatline and Listen were far scarier for children than anything in Dark Water or Death in Heaven. Because those more. were those were abstract concepts that yeah, they, most kids mm. aren't going to get,
2: and they tap into more elemental fears. I'm guessing, really, don't they? Flatline yeah. and flatline, Flat, flatline was yeah.
1: the best episode of this season, bar none, in my opinion. Uh, you know, it was it, it was right up there with, and and I hope they don't do what they did with the Weeping Angels because those bad guys were awesome, but and, you know what? Actually, they may stand up to more scrutiny than the weeping the, the weeping angels the more they used them the less they made sense um kind of like the borg uh but flatline was fantastic that that was creepy as hell mm. and i loved the way it was and you know and and it had that that wonderful tiny tardis comic relief in it that made <laughs> even though it was silly it fit the but tiny those... tardis
0: stuff was freaking awesome oh yeah <laughs> Did I give the episode a ten?
3: You did. You didn't do. Well, there you go.
0: I was right. There you go. End of podcast.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Good night, everybody. Good
0: night, everybody.
1: One thing. One thing I wanted to say about Danny, or uh, I'm sorry, what's the actor's name? Samuel Anderson. Samuel Anderson. Uh, In his defense, that speech that Danny gave at the end of Death in Heaven, nobody could have made that sound good.
0: Yeah, I thought it was
1: pony, and
2: it was stupid as hell. I hate those kind of speeches generally. I hate these. There's very few of call to arm speeches in genre fiction I've seen that are good.
1: Yeah, and and it could. I mean, it could have been awesome if if they're Cybermen for fuck's sake. First of all, I hate Cybermen. I was. More, you know, I've I've been I've gone on record as saying it's time to retire the Daleks, and and uh, and as much as I love the Daleks, I think that.
0: Let me give you a spoiler warning, there, Rick. That's I
1: know they're coming back. I know, I know. But into the Dalek, I liked it a lot better when it was called Fantastic Voyage, and even Lost in Space did an episode (laughs) like that. I
0: said Fantastic Voyage was a big pile of shit as well,
1: and I was yelling at you in my car as I was. (laughs) I knew
0: you would. I knew it.
1: <laughs> it's a much better book. I suggest you read it. Isaac Asimov wrote it, um, but I, I just I've, I think the Cybermen need to go away. They're a, they're a lame ass, and, and they've always been weak. and And now that they've become basically an army of Iron Men, it's even worse.
2: <laughs> the only thing I will say about them, I mean, I, I maintain, I think they've been the biggest failure of the show since returned. Because the problem the problem with the Cyberman, that's not a Moffat issue. No. It's that's that's it has been a problem since the Shorts returned. I didn't like the way mm. they changed their voices in this. Um I, know, I hate that. I actually quite liked it. It was it it sounded more intimidating than they had previously, um, which again wasn't wouldn't be that difficult. But the only good the only good <laughs> Cyberman I've ever seen is the very the dismembered one we saw in and Pandorica opens Oh, first season
0: oh well the one that brings his skull out the, the, what th- about handles
2: oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh that was, <laughs> yeah, that, was that, that was terrifying um, you yeah, know the only good version of Cybermen I've seen is in that brief moment when Amy comes across a dismembered one that Pandorica opens mm. and she tries to snap, snap at her face that I can't almost thought oh maybe some more of that but it probably works because it's only one of them and it's a dismembered one and yeah. like with the weeping angels and like with the Daleks History dictates they work best when there's not many of them. Yeah. I mean,
0: that's sort of the same that I said in the last episode. Um, you know, they're good for the first two minutes that you see them. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they're kind of crappy after that. Well,
1: my, my favorite one, and I, I don't remember the name of the episode, was the one where it was the Daleks and the Cybermen, and the Daleks are going, exterminate! And the Cybermen are going, delete! And they're like, it was, it was the most ludicrous thing that if it had been done, ironically, would have been brilliant, but it wasn't. <laughs> Doomsday. Uh,
2: Doomsday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was a series. The series two finale. Um, it was that was a horrible idea. I mean, that was one of the things about this finale I didn't like, which was I don't because it was basically the master using the Cybermen. I don't like one villain using another villain. I don't like villains teaming up <laughs> because, when well, the, and... because when the hero wins, it makes both villains look shit.
1: Yeah, well, mm. and the Cybermen were completely ineffectual.
2: Yeah, yeah. It could there, have been, there was, you was no. You could
1: have taken them out, and it wouldn't have mattered.
2: Yeah, you could have had an yeah. army of anything. It didn't have to be Cybermen by any means. Yeah, but it is that. It's almost that moment. You do wonder if they're writing it almost like Emma said, just for the reveal, just for the because the reveal was good in Dark Quarter and you're like, oh shit, it's Cybermen. Mm-hmm. And then, except
1: that they gave it away in the teaser.
2: <laughs> they did, but yeah. I, I honestly, <laughs> I, I'd forgotten. <laughs> So to me, it was like watching it fresh. I'd actually forgotten that they were going to show up, but yeah, yeah. You're, right. you're right. They did give it away. Um,
1: yeah, because when the when the water started going down and we saw the top of the cyberhead, I was like, oh right, <laughs> mm. oh yeah.
2: But I, yeah, I do not like villains teaming up with villains. Not just in Doctor Who, in it's it's seldom works because obviously they're not going to win, and mm. then you've just diminished two villains. And for a villain to work. The best villains at work are the ones you think they might actually win. They probably yeah. won't, but you think you have to think they have a fighting, they have a puncher's chance of actually coming out on top. And when they don't, the same thing when you're fighting armies of side Cybermen- armies of Daleks. If the Doctor's going to defeat a thousand of them, it'll be no, he'll have no problem with five. Mm. Or No yeah. problem with ten.
1: Yeah. Well, um, it's like it's like Star Trek Voyager when uh, you know when they completely. Uh, I uh, Hate to use the term emasculated, but I can't think of a better term right now. The yes. Borg,
2: D- diminished, you know, diminished,
1: diminished. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the the You've got one Federation starship in the at the very epicenter of Borg space, and you're like, how are they going to get out of this? And whatever they do is so contrived that it's just, why bother doing it? Yeah.
2: This, yeah. So that so that was a kind of an issue with again that's with the writing. Not yeah. with what anyone did, hmm. but with the actual writing that you have that initial moment of uh, oh look who it is and then once it gets resolved and it, like you said the Cybermen did, the Cybermen didn't do much No, they, they just the burst only,
1: around and
2: yelled The only killing was done by Danny as a Cyberman, who killed three other Cybermen Yeah That was that was the only killing they did um, the That's is- why, I, mean, I don't know if you want to talk about The Master or y- y- Now or Wait Mike, Um no, we that was, it, eh? well, that was one of the good things about the Master. I know a lot of people have complained about Oscar being killed,
1: hmm. and that pissed me off. Yeah. No,
2: no, no, you see, it didn't because it worked. That I thought was brilliant because no one wants her to die, me included. She was fantastic, and they hinted at her maybe. um We knew Clara might be going, so we thought Oscar might be the next companion. That'd be brilliant. I think I've actually written about that in Simply Reads, saying that after the fiftieth, you know what, she might make a good future companion. Mm-hmm. And Moffat, Moffat explained it, and I totally agree with his justification that if you want to give your villain some gravitas and add some heft to the character, you have them kill someone in cold blood that you like and that you don't want to see die. And it obviously can't be the Doctor. But you have them yeah. kill someone, so you think... So you then you then hate the person that's done the killing. You hate the person that's done the killing. Um, it has a, It resonates with you as a viewer that someone you didn't want to die has died. I mean, that's part of... I mean, even though the show has a lot of our problems, Game of Thrones has basically made a like, <laughs> cut, cut its industry out of that.
1: Now, let me clarify. It pissed me off, but it did not sour me on the episode. I thought that was a bold move. Hmm. It very bold. You know, very killing bold. off a character that, that people like is, it, it takes balls. It, you know, there I go using using sexist terms again. I'm cu- sorry. Cu- courage. Yeah. Courage. Yeah. courage. Courage. Yes, courage. there hmm. we go. <laughs> I've been watching too much Colbert Report. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, I, I I admired that, even though I was like, "Oh wow, she could be the next companion." You know, Velma on the TARDIS. Wow! But uh, yeah.
2: Yeah. at that moment, you're thinking, "No, don't do it! Don't do it! Don't kill her!" Yeah, which is, which is exactly what you should be thinking. It's what I was thinking. I think it's what most viewers were thinking. So when the Master follows through with what she said she was going to do, it's not like she warned us. She warned us all. Yeah you can't say we didn't see it coming. But when it happens no. you're like, "Oh, I fucking hate you now. <laughs> you killed someone now, I like."
1: One thing I ha- I have to I-, I think we're on complete opposite ends of the spectrum with this Emma. And yep. and I, I I I completely understand your opinion and I, I'll so I wasn't exactly I wasn't saddened to hear it, but Cyber Brig broke me. Okay. I blubbed like a baby when he showed up. Mm. And Fair that enough. salute killed me. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, enough, was... I mean, I think if it if it works for you, then then that's great. But I, it uh, it just didn't it something of didn't resonate for me, and I think that mm. it was kind of at the end of an episode, which I thought was kind of poo. Um, I was kind of getting that episode fatigue of I just wanted to be over now, so yeah. I was kind of in a place where that didn't kind of affect me. As emotionally as it might have done, so it might be that in you know in a year's time when I rewatch that, it's gonna break me in half. Like it did yeah. with you.
2: It didn't resonate with me as much, but I get why Rick didn't. I think play, I think I'm in the minority. I think a lot of people. It's a simple, think, yeah, it's, yeah, a, it's a an emotional of... point. It's an emotional point. It's not a logical yeah. point in the slightest. It, no, It's, just, no, not it's at all. meant to do what it did to Rick. It's meant to touch purely. It's meant to pass that logical part of your brain and mm. hit the part of your brain that responds emotionally. It's like when Buzz flies in Toy Story.
4: Absolutely. That, make, that makes yeah. no
2: sense because we, it's been established that he can't fly so when he does yeah. that makes no sense but on an emotional level it totally works because mm. you want it to happen and yeah and, and i guess it gave him i guess it gave nicholas courtney maybe a kind of send off that a heroic send-off that i guess moffat went to give him because the you know the bit when we find out that his character has died because the actor has died in a closing mm. time that resonated with me a lot more emotionally probably mm. no, probably knowing that nicholas courtney had just died yeah
3: i i was i much sort of preferred like the the briggs end in closing time just because it it wasn't sort of like a blaze of glory he just sort of like died in a nursing home pretty much waiting on the doctor to show up
2: it felt it felt it, it kind of felt all too real
3: yeah it it yeah it did it,
0: And especially, I mean, it came in a time in my life that really resonated really hard and that really kind of had the same effect on me at that time as it had on Rick with this time. I don't know if it just could. I mean, we spoke about it in the episode when we covered it in that it kind of didn't because it was kind of over egging the pudding, so to speak. It just didn't resonate with me as much as it did with Rick. But I completely respect that point of view and, you know, I completely acknowledge it. And if, if you felt that way and you watched it, I'm not going to disrespect you in any way. But it just didn't work for me. As a viewer, yeah. and that's just my opinion. Yeah, and, well,
2: and, and yeah, and if it's the way you feel, the way it's the way you feel, it's the way you feel. It doesn't mean you're wrong. You're not wrong. Yeah, like, no, you're not yeah. wrong. It's kind mm. of no
0: wrong or right view on this. It's kind of it works for you, or it doesn't. It didn't quite work for me, but it worked for Rick. And I think that's probably you're gonna probably find a 50-50 split with this kind of thing in the audience.
1: That that being, well, I, you know, and it it may just be a matter of because Tom Baker was my doctor, um, and I really didn't watch any of the doctors after I tried to watch Peter Davison and he was just too British for me. If that makes any sense. Right. Um, you know, the whole cricket thing, Uh, Douglas Adams did the same thing. The later hitchhikers guide books were, so British. We say British.
2: You mean English, really? English. I'm sorry. English, I'm, English, I'm, yeah.
1: I keep falling yeah. into that trap. I apologize. <laughs> there is, uh,
2: there's a common, it's a common trap. Yeah, because yeah. the doctor's British, but he's, the doctor's really English.
1: Yeah, there, there. Yeah. I, I, I now understand there's a difference. But for most of my countrymen over here, there the words are, are synonymous. And I Rick, apologize.
0: Rick.
2: No, the Rick, The fact that you know there's a difference means <laughs> you're ahead, you're ahead of a lot of them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Agree, yeah.
1: Um. But you know, it's like: Have any of you read uh, uh, Neil Gaiman's book *Neverwhere*?
2: I haven't. it's on my wish list. I haven't got to yet.
1: Okay, it's a, it's a fantastic book about a a, a complete. It, it's almost kind of Harry Potterish before Harry Potter uh, about this this secret magical world that live that exists under London. Um, and I was reading it, going, "I should get a lot of this," but because I've I've only been to London once, I don't and that was kind of the problem I had with Peter Davison. And and so I just sort of stopped watching. And of course this is long before the internet when you could go back and rewatch things. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, when the, the, the actor that played the brigadier died, you know, it's kind of like when somebody you haven't seen for 20 years and you suddenly hear about their, obit- you read their obituary and it's like, you're thinking of them the last time you saw them 20 years ago. Hmm. Uh, Whereas Emma, you have watched all of the doctors since then. Mm-hmm. And so you, you have this, this bridge. So, and, and I, I'm not, I'm not trying to diminish your, your feelings when he died. Cause I'm sure they were, they were very strong. D- did you ever
0: meet him? Yeah. I went to his funeral.
1: Okay. But did you ever meet him when he was alive?
0: Yeah, I did. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. So you, you have this connection with the actor, mm-hmm. um, that you know it's like when when uh, when Elizabeth Sladen died yeah you know mm-hmm. in my mind she was still 25 and Tom Baker's companion yeah uh, and, it, and it it kind of kicks you in a in a weird place in your brain.
0: So I think with with Nick with Nick Courtney, the actor who played the Brig as well, he was the president of the Doctor Who Appreciation Society, which is the the kind of official in inverted commas Doctor Who fan club. And I think he was so connected with fandom in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, he he touched so many people's lives kind of directly as well. Um, it, he's kind of got this kind of elevated. Kind of, of uh, status in Doctor Who fandom that it's difficult to separate the man from the character. Yeah. So when you're when you're doing things with his character beyond him passing away, it's you're always going to get this kind of visceral reaction yeah. hmm. that you wouldn't get with someone who was just an actor, if you see yeah. what I mean. Because yeah, they were so intertwined. Yeah.
2: Because you're honoring yeah. the legacy of the man as well as the character. Yeah. Yeah, I mean,
3: um, when the whole cyberbrig thing happened, uh, I've seen some internet comments say it was really disrespectful. You know, to... unbelievable.
0: I mean, I, yeah. I made this facetious comment about someone coming and shitting on their cat <laughs> in, the, in the last episode, but I think it was so it was so visceral. It's difficult mm. to explain if you're kind of not super into the fandom and all this sort of thing. But um, the way people behaved, it was like that you were disrespecting a direct relative.
2: I mean, I will say Moffat's defence because, like, he again isn't—he's an, an old school fan, the same as like anyone, anyone mm. of us, or anyone who's listening. That even if it was a misjudged—and that's a matter of opinion—it was a misjudged plot point. Mm. It was not done out of um,
0: disrespectful, che- out of no. cheap,
2: yeah, out of cheap to be cheap or to be trite or to be malicious. It came from a place of love because, I mean, he has—I'm sure as much adoration for you know Nicholas Courtney and what he did as any fan.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But I think fundamentally, when you drill right down, Stephen Moffat is iconoclast. He wants to take the the sacred cows of Doctor Who and kind of explode them, <laughs> and that involve that it comes to the Brigadier as well, as much as anything else. So I think that he will always take the story over the law. And mm. that, you know, when I say law, the L O R E law, and um, oh, that okay. is uh, that is kind of what he's always out to do is that I want to tell a story, and I'm not going to let anything that's ever come before get in my way. And that means there's no sacred cows, no continuity, no nothing. He's always yeah. going to tell a story that he wants to tell, regardless who it's going to upset, who it's going to annoy, and what rules in a comedy is going to break.
2: That's true. I mean look at the fiftieth. As much as I love the fiftieth.
0: Yeah, um, absolutely the fiftieth.
2: Obviously you've got the joke about Russell T. Davis chucking all the scripts out saying it was all for nothing. Um, <laughs> and it it does actually bring up to that issue on uh Moffitt because what's quite clear is regardless of whatever your opinion is on him, he's got his style and you, that you know, that style you're gonna have to you're gonna have to take it or not, but he's not gonna change the way he's approaching uh, right in the episodes that's just not going to happen and it brings up i just thought an interesting question is whether the showrunner about like how much because look i mean i'm not no one can moffat's not some chance who just showed up to so mm. see doctor who was like a, a big the biggest maybe the biggest show in britain and is just trying to you know piggyback it for his own his own fame and his own ego or anything like that like he it is coming from a place of these are the stories that i would i wanted to see as a fan which I'm sure most writers come from that place, but should where is the line, and should you be? Is it look? I'm I'm in charge. So while I'm in charge, I'll do what I want, and then the next person comes and they'll do what they want. Or should you maybe be more of a custodian, and do you have a responsibility just to, when you hand the show over, whenever that is, to make sure it's in better shape or at least as good shape as when you arrived? Like I I don't know. By the way, I'm I'm still debating where well, places. I
1: see Moffat. Much like I see J.J. Abrams, in that uh, I would like to see both of them stop dipping from the well of the past and do new stuff. Mm. As awesome as it was to find out that Missy was the master, uh, I was actually kind of disappointed that that's the way they went.
0: Do you know, you're exactly the same as Chuck was. was. He was absolutely fine with the concept that the master might be a woman now but it's absolutely disappointed that the master was the character in the first place.
3: Yeah. I think that, that that's all very well, but at the same time, you'll always have people like sort of going, you know, you can have like a, a, a series with entirely new like enemies, aliens and all sorts of stuff. But then you always have the cadre of people who go, where are the dogs? Where are the side men? Where are the, where are the, the the master and things like that. So it's, I mean, it's, yeah, obviously, and don't get me wrong it would be nice to have like a series where you you don't have where basically your only connections is to like the classic who's the doctor and the tardis you know um but at the same time i don't think th- it's like they can't like not just leave these sort of things be Do you know what i I,
2: mean? yeah, I do understand because you're in a you're in a television climate particularly at the bbc mm-hmm. um where i mean they don't take any risks I mean, yeah. it's tough to take risks as a writer in television full stop Got to make like, that
0: paper, son. Particularly, mm-hmm. yeah,
2: particularly in network television, particularly on the BBC, which isn't fully funded by advertising. So I understand at some at some points you want to go with uh, familiarity. And Mike, you're right in terms of if you didn't have some of these classic. Um, villains, then there would be complaints because Doctor Who I think is very unique. Maybe Star Trek's slightly similar where if you ask 10 different people what you want from Doctor Who, you probably get six different answers. If you ask 50 people, you get about 35 different answers. Mm. If you ask 100 people, you get about 80 different answers. So in t- so if you, we were recording this podcast with four different people, there probably wouldn't be a lot of um, corollary between what we're saying and what they'd say. Um, yeah. And yeah. personally I would like to see like they did with the silence. Um I mean not necessarily the silence, but just one or two more villains what you could conceivably put as your big villain to close to close your story arc. I do think the Rogues Gallery needs to be widened just a little bit. Not ridiculously, don't chuck everything out. Mm-hmm. But I just just for the purpose of the show to keep going. in terms of helping it endure a bit a bit further if you've got more to choose from because you are bouncing between Dalek Cybermen Master maybe Davros. At the end know he's a great intelligence.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's kind of like strange because when like people sort when always like bring up like the like the classic monsters, I always think back to Gridlock and you bring back the Macra, and it's not like whoa, it's like completely the opposite end of the spectrum, <laughs> you know? It's just it's just weird. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'd love to see some like of like some like sort of lesser classic um, villains come back. I'd love to see the Mara back. For starters, um, I don't. I mean, out You probably won't know who the hell I'm talking about. Not but, a clue. <laughs> but the Mara sort of. What was? How were they described in *Kinder*? I and mean, it was like, like, okay. Um,
0: well, they looked like a big draft excluder snake, essentially.
3: Well, in the original special effects, but they're sort of like a sort of a personification of pure evil.
0: Yeah, but I mean, as well, you saw, with with the Mara, it's very linked into the whole idea of Buddhism as well. Mm. That kind of, you know, the whole idea of recurring lives and karmic realignment and all that sort of thing. It's very linked into that. So, I mean, but things like... And Moffat, real...
2: yeah, and Moffat does not have a good reputation when he starts delving into the East. If you look at Sherlock episode. <laughs> I'm trying to remember which one it was. The second episode of first series. Uh, Oh, it it was...
0: You know, if I had to say anything about Moffat's uh, villains, anything but, like, a dominatrix bird... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> can we move away from that shit because you know you're mo- you're really revealing too much about yourself yeah. well, I feel I've, like there's a woman who comes to his house every week and like steps on his balls and <laughs> makes him do the washing up
2: well I've, uh, I've actually got a theory about you know the thing about like I've said before that what well, I say I've said loads of people have said that he doesn't write women he writes tropes he yeah. writes characteristics hmm. the thing is is that and he gets a lot of shit for that and some of it I think is actually deserved but yeah. the thing about Moffat can't write women we often forget who his first ever lead character was, and Rick, you probably—I'm sure you won't know because you weren't—you wouldn't have had this in America. But Moffat's first ever show was a show that had a lead female. In fact, Rick, you know absolutely fabulous. Yeah, of course. Okay, jo, um, Jennifer Saunders' daughter.
1: Oh, Saffron, yeah, yeah, Saffy. Exactly.
2: Her, right, her. She was the lead in Moffat's first ever TV show. It was a kids' TV show about what was it? A school newspaper, wasn't it?
0: Oh, what bloody best gang. gang. Press gang. yeah. She
2: was she was the lead and she was and she's regarded as like a really good female lead. She's not a trope or anything like that. I mean, from all my memories I ain't seen it in ages, but she's looked upon quite fondly as a really good female character. And she was what in the nineties, which you definitely didn't see a lot of that around at the time. Hmm. Yeah, true. Um, But what happened in his real life, it's just a theory of mine, in his real life is that he was married at the time and then his wife he got got divorced because his wife cheated on him. Um, and he he got remarried and he's got two kids, and he's happily married and everything. Um, but it kind of happened out of the blue, and like the guy in question apparently was a guy who was a fan of the show. And was kind of like, oh, why do you have to fuck my wife then? Most people just write fan mail. Um, <laughs> 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 and I'm just wondering this whole thing about, and I've seen some of his women he wrote previ- uh, subsequently, like in stuff like Coupling and stuff like that. Often, writing women is these puzzles to be figured out. And I'm wondering, even subconsciously, if it's, it's still that's his way, almost of dealing with what happened, because um, he was kind of the wrong party, at least as the story goes. He was the wrong party. That um, would make a lot of sense. It might not. It'd yeah, be like complete bollocks. I don't, yeah, please, this is not established fact by any stretch. Oh no. Uh, <laughs> I'm wondering if I'm wondering if there is something in that, particularly given how his first ever League character was a woman, and was not like a lot of the a lot of the ones we've seen since hmm. not just in, not just in doctor who
0: hey doctor freud <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: uh so shall we move
3: on so here's a question for you it's going slightly off uh, the list of what we've got what would you say is the episode from this series that sort of surprised you the most that you thought was going to be a bit meh, but actually turned out you really liked cuz i think my vote would have to go to time heist I mean, yes, it, it was like, quite linear. I think we both scored it a six, didn't we, Emma? But actually, when I sort of, like, think about it, it's one of the ones I would quite happily like, go back and rewatch just for, the, just for the fun of it,
1: you know? I have to agree. When it started and, and it was like, you know, the, 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 the four of them walking in slow motion, I was like, oh, fuck, give me a break. <laughs> uh, I kind of wrote the episode off, and maybe that was intended uh, because by the, you know, 10 minutes later, I was totally engrossed.
0: Yeah, I agree that Time Heist was a massive surprise for me. And as a former bank employee, it really resonated. Because, <laughs> <laughs> oh, how I wish for a teller. And there's, some <laughs> people, and there's some people who I dealt with in my career that I wish I could have sucked the brains out of and chucked out into a bin somewhere. <laughs>
1: Now that that was some gruesome shit there
2: That was pretty good I'm
0: all about it as a bank employee (laughs) Fuck something
2: Yeah I haven't I I never had any real doubts about Time Heist I mean I enjoyed it but I kind of expected to It came off the back of Listen as well But mm -hmm. I
0: think the fact that as well Which which got the the whole
2: series back
0: I think that the teller was a practical effect as well Which was Mm -hmm. super cool And I think that it showed that because they had something Real to work off they, their reactions were so much better as well I think and the whole kind of bringing its little ice stalks together like a re- weird fucking creepy slug man I thought that was cool as balls
2: yeah I mean what I think what partly help because you know when you get the uh, next week on Doctor Who and then you get a few clips and mm-hmm. you'll see who the supporting actors are um and I know the woman uh the black woman in it who was part of the crew uh, Pippa Bennett Warner, I've seen. She was okay in this episode, but I've seen another stuff. Mm-hmm. She's a brilliant actor. So the second I saw her in it, I was like, okay, this should be quite good. So I, I didn't have ridiculous expectations, but I was expecting something. I was expecting what I got. Mm-hmm. I was expecting a enjoyable episode. Um, I'm trying to think the one that I didn't think that'd be good that was good. I mean, partly maybe me listen just because of, I hated the first three episodes, and then listen was next, and I was kind of, and you're hitting serious fatigue at this point. Hmm. so not that I expected it to be shit and I'd heard Moffat had written it but my expectations were kind of dipping with each week and that's partly because of what we got in the last series as well Hmm. like if you you put that all together in aggregate my expectations for each week were getting lower and lower and lower and it's like I'm not even watching it live I'm just going to watch it on catch up like a day later a couple of days later um, kind of thing so my expectations for listen weren't that high I got what I think is probably the best episode of the series
0: I think for some for some reason I think that in kind of inner fan circles we all we all expected to listen to be really good. Right. Like, I don't it know a, if I'd make that good, shit up.
2: It had a lot of good kind of pre vibe
0: like, working like, mm. up to it as well. And I think that with it was a case of because the first six episodes leaked as well, yeah. there was kind of a lot of internal kind of, you know, get through the first three episodes and episode four is amazing or whatever but um, I, as a person who kind of liked the first three episodes, kind of, not as much as maybe I, was, I like Listen but um, Listen was kind of like the icing on the cake essentially, rather than the redeeming quality of three three kind of crap, crummy episodes
1: hmm. Well this may not be much of a surprise given what I've said earlier, but I loved Listen for the fact that we saw the Doctor by himself for a little while at the beginning,
0: mm-hmm. and saw
1: what happens when he's alone he just starts thinking about shit.
0: <laughs> and as someone who has problems with anxiety and things like that, I really, something I mentioned in the episode we did about it, I really recognised a lot of traits in that as well, and I thought that was really cool. That's um,
2: actually... Um, oh, sorry, no, sorry I'm going to finish
0: your point. No, no, I mean, that's kind of as, as far as my point goes, really. As someone who recognises a lot of those traits. I really appreciated what they were trying to do with the Doctor's character in that someone who's got too much time to think about everything. Mm
4: -hmm.
2: Yeah. Also, like you've obviously said about Capaldi's, almost his demeanour, and they refer to like the angry eyebrows quite a lot. Yeah. (laughs) But it is a case of he's actually probably not angry, he's just more anxious. And at times when you think he's annoyed, uh, thoroughly annoyed with everything, He's 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 almost inter- this doctor seems to internalise a lot, which I think mm. every doctor does to an extent. But normally um Smith would hide it with his with his kind of childlike quixotic nature, or Tennant would smi- tenant would hide it with his enthusiasm or something like that. Where Capaldi doesn't have at least not yet he hasn't brought a quality that kind of hi- you can have an, a, a there's no um I think what I'm getting at is there's no mask with this and didn't they touch on that in Deep Breath? Mm-hmm. That there mm-hmm. is, there's not a lot of mask with this doctor. If he's annoyed, if he's angry, if he's upset, if he's even if he's actually relatively sarcastic or upbeat, you can tell straight away. Mm-hmm. Mm. There is, there is no kind of shield of putting on a face for everyone else.
0: I mean, that's the thing that I found really interesting in Dark Water it when the the thing when clara kind of it does the hill turn as i uh
4: <laughs> the as hill turn. Things, yeah <laughs> um
0: you know and then clara, and then when you see the doctor just before he does the line about do you think i care for you so little you can see him almost kind of put his game face on
1: that that line redeemed the series for me by the way okay oh when you realize
2: that the doctor's not being a dick
1: and well it it just everything that came before that was
2: uh,
1: I don't want to say, it, 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 forgiven. Forgiven is the right word, I think. Oh. Not forgotten, but forgiven yeah. when he yeah. said that. Mm-hmm. I, that I, was I've one been, of the most brilliant Doctor Who lines ever.
2: Well, I read something on Denner Geek uh, today, yeah, early today, where, um, I don't know if it was a review or they were quoting what someone else, like Moffat, someone said, but how mm-hmm. in terms of when he he says a line like that, he almost assumes that it was taken as read, that like surely you must know that that's what, you know that's how i feel and yeah. mm-hmm. when i'm and that when i'm being a, like when I, if i say something that might annoy you you know that i'm not doing it out of malice even though it did come across as it came across as very malicious particularly in the first half of the series but if if with him with a line like that it's where he realizes oh i need to spell it out
4: yeah, yeah. but it's
2: partly probably coming from internalizing something it's like when well, no, i can't tell and that's how you feel because you don't ever show it on the surface it's, it's, it's impossible to discern. So unless you say it, no, I won't know.
3: Um. So, worst episode of Series 8. Caretaker, fuck Care- you! <laughs>
2: yeah, caretaker. Kill the moon. Kill the moon. Uh, see, I actually, even though I take Emma's actually all at Emma's points. I actually did quite like The Caretaker for other reasons.
0: You but should I- take all Emma's points, because I'm right.
2: shake, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> Ch- 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 This is the
0: whole basis of my marriage, right? So if you're going to do it, if Chuck's going to do it, you should as well. <laughs>
2: yeah, no, it had no, Emma's was, Emma was right when she pointed out some of the sexism, which I missed first time round when I saw it. Um, it did have some other bits that I liked. But, so I didn't know if it was worst. It'd be one of the first three... <sighs> Oh, it'd be a toss up between Robots of Sherwood and Deep Breath not because Deep Breath was bad Well, Deep Breath was very mediocre but it went on for like 70 minutes
0: yeah I think we, we talked no about rest. Deep no Breath episode. and the last episode it was entirely too long
2: well the last episode's an hour I can an hour's fine I can take an hour but unless it's some kind of special i.e. 50th anniversary there is no episode of Doctor Who needs to be 70, 75 minutes it just, it just does not need to be that long if you can't tell your story in an hour that, and this comes the issue with Sherlock as well because Sherlock's ninety minutes. And I think mm-hmm. Moffat's used to writing on his bigger canvas now, and he's going to have. I keep saying it: learn, learn to calibrate, or more importantly, you probably can't do both because I don't think anyone can do both. So choose one. And I've I've said it and written it for like, i it for, like two years now. The, the demands of both show are too, are too much for any one person. I'm not saying that he's not up to it. I can't forget anyone that would be up to it.
0: Uh, agree.
1: Hmm.
2: Yeah, I can't argue with you there. Because they because the thing is now, even Sherlock's beginning to suffer as a result as well. So both but should... as well,
0: as Doctor Who fans we kinda get selfish in that we, we I mean, this whole this whole big thing about the series being reduced to thirteen reduced in inverted commas to thirteen episodes that we're bloody lucky we don't end up in the Sherlock situation if we get three ninety minute episodes every eighteen months.
2: No I'm happy, I'm happy with
0: it. I'm happy with her, that as well, too, but yeah, I think no that problem. Moffat you know, it is too much for one person to do and mm. that they both suffer as a result. But I I couldn't say who could really step into either shoe. If well,
2: you he, he, him. he himself said in an interview once, the main problem is actually finding time to write. That's the job. Now I know that's not all <laughs> of the job. He's got he's got a lot of I mean, I'm not trying to say he's been lazy. I don't know how he finds the time. Mm-hmm. But when you're struggling to find time to actually write the episodes, which is the the foundation what we watch, then you kind of think, yeah, there might be there might be a problem here, and it's probably not an accident that he only wrote what three of this series, um,
3: something
1: like that.
2: But he also sort of co-wrote quite well. He, he, co- well he co-wrote, so he co-wrote, uh, co-writes all of them. Mm. I mean, well, nothing... yeah. it's
1: like Gene Roddenberry yeah. in that aspect.
2: Yeah, I mean, nothing gets through without no no episode <laughs> hits the air without something that he hasn't okayed. I, I mean, mean yeah, he's
0: no. the supremo. Mm-hmm i i mean, uh, I think that that's important to remember um that he gets final kind of yes or no on the scripts because he is the showrunner mm-hmm. he gets to set he gets to set the tone of the episodes, so hundred percent that if we don't like the tone of the episodes or the way that the series is going that we can hundred percent put that on him
2: yeah because it's going through his filter mm-hmm. yeah uh, if something comes along that he doesn't like or just doesn't like the tone of he'll change it. It doesn't matter what the original writer thinks. If, if Moffat thinks he needs to change it, he will change it, and rightly so, because if it, if it goes shit, he it's going to come down on him. Yeah. Well,
1: I think I think you know, like I said before, uh, I don't come to Doctor Who for solid science fiction, but if they're going to try to do science, solid science fiction, uh, Kill the Moon was just fucking stupid. From the beginning to the end. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, it uh, was. I can't agree with it. Uh, I've sort of, I've criticized you, criticized you before, Rick, on sort of taking it too seriously in a way. But I 100% agree with you. I mean, I liked <laughs> Kill the Moon, but I mean, I really know the mediocre of physics and shit like that. Um, but even I know that the things they said in Kill the Moon were hardcore Dope bollocks you know (laughs) i wouldn't have minded it if they had
1: the the courage got it right the first time to actually have the moon go away at the end or you know or or or, you know something other than just hey this fucking dragon just burst out of the moon and shit out another moon (laughs)
2: Um, I agree with what you're you're saying Rick re- the only issue with that is that was the end of the episode so you either have that moment happen with like 20 minutes left or it's this part one of a two parter
1: well, well that that's the thing yeah. you know it was yeah, it so. was okay up until the end and then the end was just so ridiculous although you know I could go into why a space shuttle being used made no sense whatsoever but that that's me, that's me being incredibly nitpicky and I'll I'll <laughs> I'll be the first to admit that you know it, it's I you know it, it's a recognizable spaceship you know haha they dug it out of the museum whatever there's it just yeah, yeah. space shuttle can't can't go to the moon bullshit. but <laughs> um, the it was the end that killed it for me it was the this thing was born out of the moon and then it crapped out an identical moon and suddenly everything well that and, and Clara being able to contact the entire population of the earth in 10 minutes
2: uh, I'm, I'm not. I don't disagree with any of those points. I think it was what I didn't. The thing about you said about solid science fiction, maybe because I'm not as scientifically savvy as uh, some of you, but I didn't. <laughs> I, I did not kind of take anything of that seriously. And what I was, you know, what what was dependent for me whether the, the episode I liked it or not was the nature of the interaction between the characters, the dialogue, and the actual drama, rather than on a scientific level, does any of this have any credibility because it doesn't hmm. not in the slightest
1: uh, no and and doctor who normally doesn't and i'm usually cool with that but kill the moon kind of tried to to couch it in uh a, a shell of of actual science fiction and and it didn't work and i think that's i never could get into the episode i i spent the whole time wondering if you don't know what's going on why did you bring up a shuttle full of nukes Anyway, that that was my that was I, I you know I I know that you guys hated into the forest of the of the trees like I called it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I that was that was just kind of eh, it was all right. I let it, I let
2: it go. That was that was the episode for the kids.
0: Yeah, it it didn't bother me. I me and Mike thought the episode was pretty poo. Yeah, it, which, it
2: which wasn't dull. It wasn't very good, but it was one for the. I knew that was one deliberately aimed for the kids not
0: it was my fault watching that episode because it was an episode that i sat and watched with my dad not my not chuck so it was one of those episodes like dad this is gonna be really good yeah (laughs) yeah. that whole thing of like every episode that you sit and watch with somebody that you're trying to convince is a good show (laughs) Um, it's it's Son of that episode happened to me on in the forest of the night
2: the only thing I will say in episode's defense is the bit at the end when Clara's like, well, what's going to happen afterwards? And Doctor's like, you'll forget. And, and she's like, no, you won't. She's like, forgot it last time. And she's like, forgetting is a human superpower. And it's just a nice little thing that if you want to take that further, if you should look at history, it's like, yeah, he's right. He, mm-hmm. And the Doctor knows. He's seen it all. <laughs> it really is a human superpower, forgetting.
1: Well, folks, I've got to run along. Mm. So if if I if I can just sort of sum up my my take on this and then and then y'all can go on, can cover it if you don't mind. uh, I on on the whole I thought this was this was a solid season. It wasn't great. It wasn't terrible. It was certainly not as bad as as the the last season of Matt Smith. But I would really love to see. I I, I think I know y'all you guys are going to talk about Moffat in more detail. Um, I, I think maybe it's time for him to move on. I think it's time for him to pick Sherlock or, or the Doctor, <laughs> like, like you said. Um, I, I don't think that maybe any one showrunner should be in charge of Doctor Who for too long. Uh, you know, we loved Russell T Davies at the beginning, and then by the time he was done, we couldn't wait to get him out of there. He I laid- mean,
0: arguably, that's exactly what we got to at the end of the original run with JNT. Mm. I mean, that he was mm-hmm. so we literally were in the situation of couldn't find anyone else to run the show, and he was kind of all we had, so yeah. we had to put up with him. Um, but um, it's something that me and Shane have discussed on more than one occasion: is that who would take over after Moth. And we were kind of like, and we came up with a couple of names, but I'm not sure who else is going to step into those big shoes after him. So that's going to be a big thing. I think
1: it's it's time for maybe it's time for some fresh blood. It's time. I, I would love I mean, they've got this great beginning. They've got this magnificent actor and this wonderful kind of tabula rasa of here we have a doctor who is more or less brand new. Mm. He, you know, he still remembers who he was, but he's got this whole new future ahead of him. Use it. Run mm. with it. Just just expand the thing and go just stop. Stop. Take the training wheels off. Take, you know, take off the, the, the blinders. Take the, the, the balloons out of the gutters of your bowling alley. Whatever you, whatever metaphor you want to use. Hit the hyperdrive and just fucking go.
0: But could you argue that that's what they tried to do with series 9 and people have rebelled against it?
1: No, because I don't think it ever really it 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 kept kind of hanging on to the past. Okay. I I don't think they've cut their moorings. I think they're still trying to to drag along this outdated paradigm of what the doctor should be when they they you know, it's like How frustrated I am with the JJ universe of Star Trek! They go Mm -hmm. out of the way to create an entire new timeline and then keep redoing the old stuff.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, they got Kirk in the third one, don't they, or something? Yeah, they're in negotiations
1: with Shatner now. What the fuck? Just (laughs) if you're gonna create something new, do it. You know, you're, you're, they keep talking about how Doctor Who is supposed to appeal to nine-year-olds. Well, they don't give a fuck about the Master. <laughs>
4: yeah.
1: You know, I, I loved seeing the Master. I, you know, I remember the Master as a, you know a, a Cheerios-faced kind of <laughs> puppet from you know yeah. Mask of Mandragor <laughs> or whatever it was. But you know, that's that's us old guys. If you want Doctor Who to be relevant. To you know, into the next, we're into the next century, into the next you know, decade or the next 20 years. If you want another 50 years of this show, you've got to stop hanging on to the past and move on.
2: Yeah, I think there's room, I think there's room for both. Um, so in terms of using old characters and maybe even old tropes, but I do agree that there needs to be more built on, and like you said, Rick, it's 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 fiction's greatest blank page dot two because you can do anything with it. There's no other show like it anywhere. And I I do definitely agree that there is more scope to add more onto it, which, from the sounds of things, it might be a bit of like that series nine. In terms of him trying to find Gallifrey.
1: See, even that to me is yeah. is.
2: I mean, yeah, you'll go. You'll go back to, you're going back to Gallifrey. We've done that already. Um, yeah. But on the, on the way, there's potential for more. Depending, it all depends on the writing. Yeah, yeah. as it always does. Thank you for
1: uh, joining in. Thank you for having me on. Uh, I, I look forward to hearing what I don't participate in. <laughs> <laughs> right, take care. Uh, thank you very you much. It. Nice yeah. talking to you all, and I'll talk to you soon. Right, bye, bye. Mate, Love you. Bye. 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 Love
3: you. Bye. Bye.
2: Right, so do we start bad Rick now? Yeah. <laughs> Saying how overrated Starbase is and why well, we're glad it's leaving. Yeah. Oh, gee, you know what? <laughs> Can I
0: just say something? <laughs> What's
2: that? make a point
0: yeah um i don't remember anything i've said through this whole like hour and a half we've said so this is all gonna be a surprise to me
2: okay cool (laughs) it'll give you something to look forward to when you listen yeah yeah what was was this
0: be a lesson to to you children do not drink a a half a bottle of whiskey in 20 (laughs) minutes because this is what happens to you i
2: don't feel well yeah The, the, the drinking's fine just don't podcast afterwards
0: Shut <laughs> up, Mr. Sensible. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Was anything left on the slate, Mike?
3: Um, stuff. Well, it's just like uh, best episode production, and it's like where next, so if you want to. Yeah,
0: because I mean, have we talked about how the, pro- the direction has been much more mature in this uh, series? Yeah, hmm. that's
2: true. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't point that out. Yeah. yeah. Also, I don't know if either of you will know for definite, but I think we had our first woman director. Yeah, Rachel Talalea, I think. Rachel ta- Rachel Talalea. she did the she did the finale, didn't she? I haven't
0: seen a picture of that bird once, you know, though.
2: Neither have I. Um, but I'm so yeah, we're we're guessing it's a she from the name. <laughs> I think I think it's a safe assumption.
0: Yeah, but does she actually exist or is it like a pseudonym or something?
2: Oh, they just put in they just to avoid like accusations of sexism, they just put Yeah, a, something like that. They put they put a name they put a female name on it. I yeah, yeah I don't know. I haven't seen a picture either. Um I mean, the, the direct, directors are not generally quite high-profile. Like, Ben Wheatley's probably as high-profile as we got. Mm. Mm.
3: She is American. She was born in Baltimore, um, United States, according to her IMDb.
2: She's done a lot of like, zombie movies and stuff, I think. Mm.
0: Or she is pretending.
2: Or, or, or horror, or, yeah, or horror <laughs> movies. Or she's made up. Yeah! <laughs> that, that, I just love the idea of someone in the production team setting up a fake IMDb profile, <laughs> just for the yeah, just for the purposes of that. I mean, the yeah, the direction has has been very even with the episodes I didn't like, it was shot like very well and um, sh- I mean almost shot like you'd see with um, uh, a Showtime or an HBO show mm. at times. Mm. Um, it's definitely the best looking the show's been. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, I don't, and I don't even remember the effects being that ropey off the top of my head. <laughs> someone, <laughs> someone might correct me on that, but I, I remember the effects, by and large, all being pretty solid.
3: Yeah, I w- I'd say so. I mean, I think the only sort of thing that sort of maybe sort of <sighs> a bit um, askew is something like some of the train effects in uh, Flatline. When you had it like racing down the tracks, that, that looked a little bit tough to me. But on the whole, I think it's been pretty solidly done.
2: Yeah, because normally, I'd, one of the things that... There's certain compromises that I make with the show. Mm-hmm. And normally, effects is one of them. Yeah. I accept the effects aren't going to be the cleanest things ever. Uh, but by and large, and you know, I know they spend a lot more on it these days. By and large, I was very happy with the, um, with the effects. And yeah, definitely the way it was shot. Mm-hmm. Um I mean I don't know if again if it was more than normal but they always seem to be particularly with young kids and increased um increased presence of uh people of colour and support enrolled. Emma you okay?
0: Yeah I'm good, I'm good.
2: Okay. Yeah, increased presence of even like um with Flatline and mm-hmm. the Caretaker. Like mm-hmm. it was nice it was nice to see a school, a London school that looks like a London school. Yeah, yeah that's true. Because um, the, the show hasn't always been hasn't always been particularly good with that um, good with that in the past. Like the young couple of the young couple of the, the child actors actually, by general standards, wasn't that bad. Apart from maybe in the Forest of the Night.
0: Mm. Oh, that was bad for child. That was yeah,
2: yeah. that was yeah. That that that, that weren't great, but not so cooling <laughs> Very yeah, very. Apart from apart from that, I thought a lot of the younger actors were actually quite good. And you're always kind of playing Russian roulette there when you hire him a child actor, and we've seen some bad ones. <laughs> we've seen some horrendous ones since the show's oh, come back. Fuck me. <laughs> yeah. So, so I was, that. on the whole, I think that was actually pretty strong. Um, like I thought it was a strong, a solid series, and hmm. I was just happy to see it. I was happy to enjoy the show again. Because I didn't really enjoy anything last year apart from the 50th. Um,
0: hmm.
2: didn't enjoy any of it. It became, I mean, not a chore, but something that I'd watch. Without even realizing that I'm not even really enjoying it, and so it was good to watch episodes. I mean, what twelve? 12 episodes. I'd say I, I'd say I enjoyed eight of them, okay. which is a, which is a, which is a solid hit rate. Like if you give yeah. if you if you say to me you're going to get eight from twelve that you're going to like, I'd take that. Yeah, I'd take that. I think yeah, yeah. I think you got get as well. From 12, it's sort
0: of. That. Sort of um, looking at the hit to miss rate of all the other series that's come. Mm. I think if you're looking at 8 to 12, I think that's an entirely reasonable hit rate oh,
2: out, of, out of 12. Yeah, no, de- no, definitely. Um, definitely when you look at previous series. And the only difference between this and other series past, apart from the last one, is that Apart from maybe listen, there was nothing that episodes that I thought that was an absolute bomb burner, and I would you know when when that's next' gonna be in b b c three I'll watch that straight away there weren't really there weren't anything like that where normally other series have had that um I mean they weren't bad, but there were lots of stuff that I liked I liked time heist, I liked mm-hmm. Mummy New York Express I liked flatline mm-hmm. um listen was very good. But the yeah. lots that I liked, but nothing that, nothing I thought. Oh, that was incredible! I have to talk to other people about it.
3: Hmm. It, it seems to me that um, with with some of, like, a lot of what's happened in this series, I always sort like, I felt like there was more like a sense for like a wind down at some of the at the end of the episodes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Rather than just like some episodes, it would just be like, hey, right, um, you know, bad guy's been defeated, everything's sorted, Doctor and companion disappear to TARDIS and they go. But like things like Mummy on the Orient Express, there's a good sort of like five minutes or so after, you know, the whole events on, on the Orient Express where it's just sort of, like it just like everything sort of cools down and it seems to be a like quite a recurring thing throughout this series, which I thought was quite refreshing actually.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think I think it was also necessary because of the characterisation of the Doctor. Mm. Normally with the previous series where well, yeah, you're right, Doctor Companion push the lever Tardis disappears. Yeah. But that's because of the way the Doctor dealt with whatever the threat was dealt mm. with it in a very clean and reasoned and satisfying way in a very basic and basic understandings and archetypes of a hero. This Doctor didn't.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm. Even when he did even when he did save the day it often came in a way that you might not have been comfortable with or came at a cost to other lives. So you needed something to um you kind of needed something almost a punctuation yeah. to almost justify what you needed the doctor to almost justify what he did <coughs> in those final 5 minutes um, yeah well, like
3: when mm, also when you say like um, you know the the, pro- the situation sort of with the cost of lives i think it's, it's in this series it's been a lot more pronounced yeah it's sort of like it it's always comes as like sort of a given like during like previous series like people would die you know, during the course of, but it's, it's only, like, really here, like, especially in, so, like, I was to say Mummy on the Orient Express, when you have, like, the Doctor saying at the end, you know, I, if I didn't know whether what I did would have saved Maisie or not, but I would have just kept going and kept going until I beat it. You know, so I, I think it's uh, the this this new Doctor, and his sort of, well, not necessarily, like, skewed morals, but lots of more... Uh, straightforward do you know what i mean it's like he's not messing around
2: yeah i mean I, I personally i mean this is just me but i personally like that addition that's one of my major issue, major issues but one of my minor points with the show previous years is the lack of consequence mm. when you're when you're in perilous situations i get you can't kill your protagonist and probably not your second or third um protagonist either but mm-hmm. sometimes you go through these perilous situations and no one died And that was a big problem I had with like Journey's End, for example, Mm -hmm. that no one died. (laughs) And it just didn't, it did not ring true that in a situation that perilous, that everyone would get out scot-free. Or or the one person that would die would be a character they introduced for 10 minutes. Yeah. Where in this, um, in the Marine Orient Express, even like uh, Death in Heaven, Mm -hmm. like Sanjeev Bhaskar's character, I forget his name. But he gets introduced. You think he'll be quite significant, and he dies pretty abruptly. Osgood, as we've said, dies mm. pretty abruptly. Mm. On that though, is that I'm not entirely convinced she is dead because she dies the same way the Master dies, quote unquote. Where it's, I think we'll all agree the Master's not dead. She kind of disappears rather than like you just see her disappear, and you assume that she's she's been shuffled off the mortal coil. But we don't know. Um, and like when Rose was killed, quote unquote, in the Game Show episode series one, mm. the one that led into the finale, which I forgot the name of it, but on the weakest link, <coughs> when, when yeah. the android vaporizes her, and it's not a vaporizer, it's actually a transporter. Yeah, bad wolf. Yeah, that bad wolf. Thank you. Um, yeah. They might have given themselves an out, not obviously not just for the Master, but with Osgood as well. And we didn't we didn't mention how good Michelle Gomez was. Oh yeah. As the master. And that's oh, some, she
0: was amazing.
2: That's some casting.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that,
2: that's some casting, and I, it's a much of a, bit of a relief because we when Moffitt was at Comic Con and when it was announced that he was going to be the showrunner and Davis was there promoting End of Time, mm-hmm. um, John oh. Sim was, was there because he was in the episode and he was asked about the Master and he was like, mm, "I think you know, it's kind of that'll be the end of the run for me," mm-hmm. and he was quoted as saying that. And he thought that could ruin his chances of playing it again. And he knew Moffat was there. So he ran to Moffat in a hurry and said, look, that thing I said, that, that's, that's bullshit. If you want to write the master in, like, I'm available. I'm glad he didn't take him up on that offer. Yeah. Um, I just but- kind of wish she would got more to do. I, I wish he'd gotten to do what John Simmer got to do in terms of screen time. She's not on screen that long mm. in Death in Heaven for your main villain. She's not on screen that long. She did great with what she had, particularly the scene when she kills Osgood. She's magnificent. But she doesn't get a lot of screen time. So I'm Mm. glad that we haven't seen the last of her.
3: Yeah. I mean, um, like I said, when we did uh, Death in Heaven, I think uh, Mm. Michelle Michelle Gomez said she was definitely back for Series 9.
0: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So,
3: you know, maybe it's just sort of like a taste of things to come. Which, if, if that's the case, thumbs up. I'm all for it.
2: I'm all for that. I'm all for that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so in a, um, a superb performance. And really good casting. Like, if you'd have, There was the rumours that she was the master when we first saw her. But yeah. whether those rumours existed or not, if you said to me, we're going to make the master a woman and she's going to be it, I'd just be like, yeah, I, I'm there. Where do I queue up to see this?
3: Yeah. I think it was still a case of... You know, because you know, Missy is a contraction of mistress. I think everybody sort of thought, Oh, she must be the master, and they sort of like <laughs> was, second it guess obvious. it's like, no, it's too obvious that's not Moffat's thing, but then he sort of like swerves it again, it's like, Oh damn you Moffat
2: <laughs> You know? Well, I can't remember the exact thing, but he actually threw deliberate red herring in that no one spotted <coughs> when um, Missy introduces herself as it's something it's like rendered artificial something intelligence. Basically someone that spells out like Rani.
3: Yeah, I think that was like an I <clears throat> was an alternate like take or something because yeah. of whether like somebody like he somebody did, like visiting the set and like watching it.
2: Yeah, and he did that deliberately to yeah. try to try and con the viewers in the lead up to it. Is that oh, it's Durrani, it's Durrani. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he did try to be, give him his give him his due. He did try and fool us. Yeah. Um, but at, at the same time, Rick's point is correct in as much that she could have been a, a real bad you know a brilliant villain without being a master she did not necessarily need to be the master even though I'm glad that she is
4: hmm.
0: um so should we do best episode
2: what do you reckon
0: let's do it yeah. um i'm going to give it to flatline i think i
3: think i'm going to have to give it to flatline too i it was is one of those ones where sort of maybe it's not quite on the same level as time heist It's so one of those ones where like like, the concept, you thought it's like, oh, maybe it's, just like, overreaching it. You know, it's like, creatures live exist on a <coughs> two-dimensional plane. And so I think, oh, that could, like, not necessarily be, like, bad, but it's, like, maybe it's, like, the special effects could not, like, fully, like, realise the concept. you know what I mean? Um, kind, of, kind of like In the Forest of the Night, what In the Forest of the Night turned out, like, it was a good concept, but, you know, like, the production and stuff just wasn't able to, like, run with it you know mm-hmm. but flatline just absolutely knocked it out of the park um 100% agree i i i want Jamie matson back so bad as a writer it, he just i mean that moment in the Atlantic space just brilliant loved every second of both of those shows
2: when you're talking about future showrunners i mean he's on the prospective listener he might not be the right choice but he's mm. on that list when the conversation happens he's in the conversation now
3: yeah but the, th- the thing of it is I think, I think like we even like discussed this Emma, um, we sort of like said we've had two good episodes out of them but kind, of, it's, it's like I don't think we've got like, enough we've not seen enough of them I wouldn't um, be confident putting him in name forward as a potential show in it just yet neither would I
2: neither would I. Um, yeah. neither would I but he's in Moffat put himself in the conversation because of the episodes he wrote Mm-hmm. And Matheson has done it's and it's a big. There's a lot of names, by the way. Um, mm. So he's not. It's not as lucky. He's in a class of one or two, but he's in that conversation now.
3: Mm. Yeah, I just. But like I say, I think it just needs. We just need a bit more of him to like before we can like safely say, oh yeah, this guy could definitely take over. You know, it's like yeah, we've seen some of his best kind of. I, this is going to sound like really bad when I say this, but um, I kind of like want to see like some of his like not so good stuff, so so you can get a, a better like full picture of what <coughs> it could be like under his tenure. Do you know what I mean?
2: Oh, you know, you, mm. I mean what what you've seen is like a, a highlight reel mm. um, of his work, and yeah, he wouldn't, he definitely wouldn't be my choice. Like if if I heard it was announced tomorrow, I would worry for the show. But mm. um, he he's put he's put himself from nowhere into a position now where if he's not the choice for showrunner, he's probably like in the top 10.
3: Mm. Yeah. So what was
2: your uh, favourite um, episode? Mine, I mean, Flatline I liked, it was very good. Um, I'm surprised it's gotten over as well as it has done with a lot of people. Um, mm. Maybe people liked it more than I did. I liked it, I thought it was very good. Definitely one of the better ones, mainly because of the performances. But um, mine, would, mine would be Listen. It's. Okay. it's the one... Oh yeah,
0: that was, that was second place for me, definitely.
2: It's the one from the series, if I had to watch one episode again it'd be that one Mm. um it's what moffat does still does better than probably anyone
3: yeah i think the only the only sort of hang up i had from listen was the bit at the end when you go into like the doctor's childhood and it's not not to say that you know it shouldn't have been done you know and Stephen moffat was wrong to do it it's just i sometimes have this feeling like you shouldn't know too much about your hero do you know what i mean it's like you never see like say james bond as a kid or anything like that it's like I mean, and like you say, the the entire scene was absolutely fine. I, did, I had no problems with it. It was really, actually, very well done. It's just I saw, like, on a like a it sort of subconscious level, it was sort of like, hmm. do you know what I mean? It's like it's it's kind of hard to sort of like articulate how I feel about it. <coughs> but it's I didn't... no,
2: maybe it's just me. Yeah, I mean, I didn't have, and I think a lot of people do actually had that issue. That I had no issue with that. Scene. I uh, actually really like the scene because I don't think it. I agree with your point about what makes this makes this character and this show so enduring is that we've seen so much of this character and yet we don't really know much hmm. about like him or her when it does become her. Yeah. Um, we don't really know much, but I don't think that ep- that episode gave us anything we didn't already know because what, all it is is I well, at least all that is was um um reify the point that was made and there was there's a lot of this actually in the series mm-hmm. that was made in the girl in the fireplace there were a lot of remnants of the girl in the fireplace um, scattered throughout the series and the bit when uh, Madame Pompadour goes into the Doctor's mind and sees into his mind mm-hmm. and she says such a lonely little boy, lonely then and even lonelier now and that's what that episode did um, I mean the one potential problem was Cla- first Clara having such a Strong impact on him, and mm. also giving giving him that uh, was it. Toy soldier, yeah. Which mm. you could argue, which you could argue, helped make um, a Doctor into what the Doctor would later grow up to become. So that I would, I would definitely concede that point. But in terms of he was a scared, frightened kid, mm-hmm. and some level he still probably is. That we he absolutely that. is. Yeah. yeah, we we already knew that. Yeah. So I had no problem with it at all.
3: Yeah, I think that maybe that maybe that was it. It's like Clara so again sort of like you know obviously we've done like the whole impossible girl bit but sort of like just that again sort of well again i don't i I didn't find it bad it was just sort of like a bit hmm
2: would you have felt the same had it been a different companion i think do you know what actually maybe it's, yeah like is it because it was Clara and Clara isn't as yeah, precious and precious or man as companion compared? Part of me
0: doesn't know how much different it would be with Amy.
2: Not even necessarily mm. Amy. Like even like Sarah Jane or someone like that. Is it because it's not your favourite companion? Like Clara, no, Clara almost don't deserve that scene. That's a question, no, but no, it's not a statement.
3: No, no, no. It's it, no. I don't think Clara didn't. It's not that Clara didn't deserve that scene. It's just sort of like I, I don't know. It's just it's. it's I I, I I do apologize. I'm I'm really like struggling to sort of, like put a pin on like what exactly it was that's like bothered me about it. It's Just sort of like so sort of, like I sort of feel like the doctor should come from like his own place rather than have someone influence him. And that's uh, and it's not like to say like
2: Ugh. that's definitely a Moffat trope. The whole it's yeah. the closed feedback loop, but um, yeah. Um, and the reason I pushed you on it is because I've heard people complain like you have, but I haven't heard anyone say why they didn't like it. And I'm curious to what it is that people that it rub people up a lot of people up the wrong way for so mm. whatever reason. That's fine. I don't. Again, they're not right or wrong. It's it's subjective. I'm just yeah. curious to what the reasoning is for that. Yeah, I don't.
3: I don't. It, it's. I I, yeah, you know, I, I. You know, absolutely fine question. Um, with the question it's just it's very hard to sort of like it's just sort of like a gut feeling do you know what i mean
0: i think uh, it didn't mesh together as well as we we're accustomed to mm. it just didn't so, seem to hang together i mean because the individual pieces are nice and they all work mm. but they just didn't gel together as well as we've come to expect i think
3: yeah it, i do apologize i know no, i'm not really answering your question it's just it's
2: that's fine I mean it was more the scene in and of itself was okay but the the way it went the rest of the episode yeah because I had that problem actually with the uh, Clara's heel turn as it will forever now be known Mm. I actually had a problem with that in comparison to The Rest of Dark Water it's a stunning scene on it's own Mm. but I don't think it actually fit well with the rest of the episode so I didn't like Dark Water nearly as much as you two did
3: I think I think with sort of like Dark water. You could sort of maybe see it as Clara going off the deep end because obviously, I mean, yeah, oh, no, we I, say.
2: The, oh, the reasoning. or no, the reasoning made total sense. I had mm-hmm. no issue with that whatsoever. I had no issue with Clara doing what she did. Mm-hmm. Um, it was more a case of it happened, and then we went to an episode that didn't fit with the tone and the nature. I mean, also standing like Revenge of the Sith style, standing over a volcano, <laughs> yeah. and, and then you're, and then you're back, and then you're. It was. um it, it jarred. It was a bit too incongruous with everything else that had come subsequently. But you it, were
0: the one oh. who was supposed to bring balance to yeah. the <laughs>
2: <laughs> Yeah, that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, that, that's why I just find it slightly incongruous. Um, mm. That said, it's a tremendous piece of acting from both of them in and of itself, that scene. Yeah, um, I, I, And I just wondered if it was the same thing with Listen
3: yeah I think that's I think that's kind of I think we're on the same page on that one I think it's just sort of two separate scenes and two different episodes yeah,
2: yeah maybe that yeah maybe that maybe that was it Because um, it is very listen i put listen to a very good episode without that scene anyway and mm. listen needs that scene to be good it was very good anyway um and it was almost Moffat taking that he could like he could have left it and it's do i um I'm trying to think of a perfect analogy almost like playing Russian roulette with yourself mm mm-hmm. And you've pulled the trigger four times and you survived. And, like, do I pull it a fifth? Do Mm -hmm. I pull it a fifth? And you decide to pull it a fifth. Yeah. And it's up to you how you respond to it, whether you think there was a a bullet in the fifth chamber or not. Mm.
3: (laughs) Shane, I want to ask you a question. What did you feel overall about sort of Moffat's more sort of, um, how should we put it nicely, trolling aspects? Like, say, um, Jenna Coleman being put in the titles above Capaldi and Death in Heaven.
2: I love all that. I have yeah. no problem with that. <laughs> I know some people hate it, and I think it comes from a genuine dislike of Moffat. I mean, we shouldn't... Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is the case. You two know better than me, but has there been a more divisive showrunner than him?
0: No. No.
2: There no, are people absolutely no. There are people who just don't watch a fan, Lifelong fans who do not watch a show. And I, I think they genuinely <clears> don't <throat> like what he's brought to it, but they don't seem to like him. Um, there are things about... I think he's an extremely talented writer. Mm-hmm. Um I don't. I, I try not to judge him as a person. I don't know the guy. There's things he's said and done um, in regards to things like gender and race, which I don't like and I find disgusting. Not throughout his, his entire life, just mm-hmm. bits bits in his episode. The comment he made when about not casting a woman doctor, I found I found extremely <laughs> abhorrent. Um, so I think that when you, people say they don't like him, I think you have to factor that in um, that some people just don't like him. But in terms of the little things like you mentioned with flipping the, the credits with Jenna Coleman and Peter Capaldi in A Death in Heaven and having Clara's eyes shut up, that's, that's fantastic. And I love the things about him teasing something that doesn't happen mm. or giving you something you didn't expect. Like I understand he's got the um, the, penult- the cliffhanger for the penultimate episode of Series 9 done and he said, I don't think anyone will see it See it coming." And now I'm like good. I like it when you know all that kind yeah. of stuff. He's he remains one of the best in the business, and he can do that as much as he wants. I'm I'm more than happy. Like I like it if I don't. I don't as long as it's good. <laughs> like I like yeah. it if I don't. If I don't, if I don't see it coming, and I'm like wow, wow how about that? Yeah, uh, I'm all for that. So bits of his his professional personality, which he is sometimes a bit of a troll. Mm-hmm. I have no problem with that whatsoever. But I think I might be <laughs> I might be the same if I was in this position. Yeah. Uh, but I do agree with Rick's point, and I think I've said this as well is that not that it may be, not this' time for him to go, but I think the doctor and the, the character of the doctor and the role of the showrunner very much has a term limit <coughs> like like a prime minister or a president mm. um mm. and I think just the amount of work I don't think fans whatever our opinions, we will have our opinions. I don't think sometimes we underestimate just how much work goes into doing what it's a proper i know it's only on, on air like nine months of the year mm-hmm. or oh, sorry not nine months sorry it's, <laughs> it's filmed for nine months of the year. it's yeah. on for like what three months or so but it, it really is it's a 12 it's an all-year-round thing mm. i mean i think I think that's what ground Matts missed. out in the end yeah and i think same with tenant they had to do it you're the doctor all the time you don't get to take a day off and as a showrunner the same thing you don't get to take a day off. you've got so many meetings so many different people. everyone wants to interview you um you've actually got to think up ideas you've got to write them, you've got to work with your other writers and other ideas. I don't think people under, under people do rather they underestimate the sheer workload just mm-hmm. because it's not like, like it's not coal mining or bricklaying or something like that 'cause it's not physical toil yeah it's a lot of work and i I think that just takes a toll on anyone after a while like you lot have spoken before about Tom Baker towards the end what he was kind of like on set and that's, I'm sure that's just the, just the repetitive nature of what you're doing like you're, you're, a hu- you're a human being at the end of the day it's going mm-hmm. to wear down anyone so I do think four or five years not as a hard and fast rule but more or less I think you kind of you you hit the wall like Tennant yeah. and Davis Tennant and Davis should always be remembered fondly but they left at the right time they both mm-hmm. hit the wall creatively mm-hmm. they both hit the wall and they both left at the right time um smith probably the same i thought smith may had one more year but when i saw some of his interviews afterwards he looked done
4: yeah
2: he he, he looked like, like a guy who just returned i mean this is a bad analogy but a guy who'd returned from like a war zone or something mm-hmm. yeah um
3: the thing i and- sort of like find with um some of matt smith's interviews afterwards was like although yeah you say like hit a wall there's also some parts where i just thought he he sort of seemed like he's like, did I jump too soon? Do you know what I mean? Should I have just stayed on for one more year? And I, th- I think that must be such a terrifying sort of, like, yeah. prospect to try and, like, weigh up.
2: Tennant said the same thing. Tennant said he knew he had to go because if he didn't go when he went, he'd never go. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the, I don't, the I don't want a go line, I mean, that's not just... There's a reason. Well, that's his la- That's his last line. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, as Moffat goes... I- I'm not, like, I'm not one of these... Um, it's so odd being an Arsenal fan because you've got this of our manager at the minute. The um, <laughs> Same thing about getting our manager out of the club. and I'm, li- I'm kind of like with Moffat like him am about uh, Arsene Wenger, the Arsenal manager. Well, I'm, not, <laughs> look, I'm not saying get him out but if he announced he left tomorrow I wouldn't, I wouldn't be talking him off the ledge either.
4: Mm. Mm. Um,
2: and while I'm not saying there's someone who out there who would definitely come in and do a better job I can definitely if you were asking me a name of potential showrunners I could probably give you five to ten names right now. Mm-hmm. Easily. Yeah, um, so it's not as if there's no one. It's not as if the show's bereft um, if Moffat goes. And not—I don't mean that to even do the guy down because he does get—he does get a lot of criticism. Some of it first, a bit not. Whatever, whenever Moffat does go, we should re- we should remember that he's left us a lot of good things. Mm. He has given us mm. a lot of good things, no matter what. Um, ultimately, um, no matter how, when he decides to go, I don't think it's gonna be anytime soon. Definitely mm. not until this get this Finding Gallifrey arc is done. That looks to be his arc, and I think the earliest to leave is when he's done with that.
3: Hmm.
0: I mean, with Moffat, if all he's got left is just shitting on the things that we love as Who fans, (laughs) then you wonder what the point of him sticking around is.
2: (coughs) Yeah, I mean, the thing even about that of what shitting on what we love as Who fans, which Who fan do you mean? Because Hmm. that's the thing about the show. And you remember, you're looking at a show now that is a different entity than it used to be because of its international appeal
4: mm-hmm.
2: It's a comp- I mean that's part of what makes it such a difficult job in terms of the workload now you're thinking of global markets you're not just thinking of the British audience so you have to try and keep it in culturally um, English and British in quite a few ways at the same time not make it alienating particularly the North American market but also it's very popular in Australia and plenty of other countries as well so, in terms of what again, it's what I said about if you ask a hundred Doctor Who fans what they want from the show, you'd get about eighty different responses.
0: And something that we've we've come back to again and again in this in this series and this podcast as well is that everything that people seem to ask for as Doctor Who fans, quote unquote, is what this series has delivered, and people still aren't satisfied. It's interesting that. Mm. As um, as we're talking, someone just retweeted their thing saying, "How can you be a Doctor Who fan when you slag off Moffat?" That's just it. I'm a Doctor Who fan, and this shite isn't Doctor Who. Well, it's
2: well, it's like it's, what is it's Doctor so Who? amorphous.
0: Yeah. What is Doctor Who?
2: Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it is fiction's greatest blank canvas because you can do anything with it more than any other show um so my in mean, my opinion in terms of what i want from doc like we all have different things we'd love to have in a show ideally mm-hmm. and i know i'm not going to get everything i want but as long as i get enough enough <coughs> and specifically as long as there's not a lot of what i don't want it's more almost what i don't want to see rather than what i do want to see um because i know i'm not going to get everything that i want from, from an episode mm-hmm. and i think every fan i think some fans understand that some might not I think fans have to understand that the show's just not written for you. Um, And I think Moff, I think you were at that, Emma, that, um, you know, the uh, kind of Q&A Comic-Con they did after the 50th. Uh, Yeah. I I think Moffat said then, he said it there another time, that he said, like, with respect, I can't write the show for you guys and one of you guys, he means like people like us, mm. you have to more, more write it for a casual viewer. You have to write... Oh,
0: absolutely. Spor- this yeah. series is so not aimed at Doctor Who fans. It's yeah. unreal. Mm-hmm. I mean,
2: you've got to write it for someone like my younger sister who watches sporadically. Yeah,
0: um, absolutely.
2: You can't really write it for us because with... And even though it sounds like he's shitting on us and he's not, we're going to watch by and large no matter what.
0: I mean, if we're talking really fundamentally, it's something that we talked about when we got to the... Um, uh, Adventure in Time and Space episode in that that only really had two million viewers. Yeah,
2: and, so and I'm talking about
0: fundamental core Doctor Who fans.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Two million people—that's
2: nothing. Yeah, even in the age of catch-up, that really is nothing. So that almost that kind of underscored the fact that he can't because that's what will happen. And <coughs> and then we don't have a show. And it's odd because Doctor Who is such an anomaly. It really is an anomaly in so many ways. But it's really a cult show. It, sh- it really is a cult show, or it should be a cult show that's wound up a mainstream hit. Mm-hmm. Doctor Who should not be a mainstream hit. When you look it should, at it, everything about
0: it is wrong.
2: Yeah, everything about it is wrong for what you. If you tried to make make it now, you came up with the idea now, you'd be laughed out of every single television production <laughs> production office in the country and probably worldwide. No one would make this, not now. Um, it's, it is. It's It's a weird anomaly. It should really be a cult show. But if it was a cult show, it wouldn't have the money to actually make it. So, so that's why you can't you can't say, oh, we'll just take the two million viewers. No, because then your budget yeah. comes down, and then you can't afford it anymore. And you can't afford the actors, and you can't afford the effects, and you can't afford the crew, and your locations, or any of that. The only way the show keeps going is with the budgets it has now. So I, emp- I do understand and empathise, and understand you have to make, as a fan compromises with some things that you might not want to see in some things that are a little bit like in the forest of the night for example mm-hmm. i'm never going to watch the episode again oh, No, but oh, no. i take that as a comp- as an acceptable compromise i understand who we who that's going for i understand that a lot of children are probably really going to like that episode young children
4: mm-hmm.
2: and i understand that that's important because you need the next generation of fans to latch onto the show and yeah. if, it's the, it, if it's an episode like that so be it that's a compromise i'm willing to make i'll sit through that even if it's not what I want.
3: It was like um, you were saying, Emma, when um, they had uh, that uh, one spin-off, Totally Doctor Who, and mm. they asked like the kids who were on it what their favourite episode was. I think it was out of series two, and they, said, oh, they all said Fear Her. Fear Her,
0: yeah, absolutely. It was
2: just, which is one of my least favourite ever. I mean, yeah. It's abysmal. Yeah, well, same. Well, the best way to sum it up himself is what Moffat, Moffat asked one of his own kids, "Favorite, his favourite episode. Mm. And I can't. it wasn't Fear Her, but it was something like that. It was a very not an episode that stands out and Moffat kind of went slightly tongue-in-cheek not Blink and his kid just shrugged and went Doctor's not in it <laughs> Yeah, and uh, this is when Moffitt was on Twitter and, and it was very enlightening to see that to see that tweet mm. because you, you see the different perspective in terms of what a fan wants like we, we may all love Blink um, I think, you know it's a near masterpiece of an episode but <laughs> the Doctor's not in it why, why is a child watching
3: still managing all right there emma
0: yeah i'm good
3: all right just just checking
0: <laughs> i'm still here
3: so do you want to wrap this up then do you want to do the where next or should we just end it
0: um hang on a minute what where next
3: okay yeah,
0: exactly. <clears throat> uh way next i think that um it's going to come down to how the companion works with the doctor
4: mm-hmm.
0: um i think if we get a companion that we traditionally understand that uh, sort of bouncing off the doctor and kind of dragging him with him or her. Um, I think that we're going to see a sort of a more traditional idea of what the doctor does and doesn't do and a more of a softening of the doctor's character. I think that's what we're going to see in series nine. Yeah, I think I think we do sort of like need
3: to have... I mean, because don't get me wrong, I love to like the hard edge of uh, Capaldi's doctor, but what I liked most is the bits where he sort of softens. I mean, like, say, yes. at the end of, like, Deep Breath... You know that bit where where the back on bought the TARDIS after he's like remodeled the TARDIS interior again, and um, you know he has, this, he has this like speech about the you know over, I've lived for two thousand years, not all of them are good. But then he sort of like, goes, you start discussing like the woman in the shop, mm. and, and he, there's this bit where he goes, as so, a you know there's, there's a woman who's like keen for us to stay together. What, what do you think of the, the prospects? Just that, just things like that, and it's like you know um, even though it's you know facetiousness on. Um, Clara's part, the, the sheer glee he has at the end of Mummy on the Orient Express, mm. when she says, do you know, let's just keep going. I, 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 I mean, yeah, absolutely. Keeps like the hard-edged Doctor, Yeah, you know, keep him as he is, but just give him a little bit more. There's like, it's like what Joan Pertwee used to say when he was the Doctor. He's like, you know, I'll do whatever. Just give me a moment of charm. Yeah.
0: I mean that's I mean when you have a doctor who's as abrasive as Capaldi is, <clears throat> you kind of live for these uh, moments of kind of softness and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, connection with the with the, the companion. It makes all these moments much more precious. So <clears throat> whether we want more of that from the new one, I don't know, but I think the whole idea of moving on from Clara. Might
2: mm. be a good idea for for series nine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm assuming that we'll may see more about this, you know, the search for Gallifrey, um, the voyage home. <laughs> I'm sure someone <laughs> will call it. Yeah. Um, in terms of the softness, I mean, uh, a little bit. I won't go too much with it. Um, I don't think it's more even softness. He needs what he could do a bit more of, and it's easy to do now. Is moments of heroism. Mm. So a moment a moment like the Rubbish Robots from the Dawn of Time speech, um, mm. the speech he gave when he breaks free the TARDIS and deals with the Boneless, mm-hmm. which was, I think, his most pro- properly heroic moment probably in the series, and even oh, the way he deals with uh, deals with the uh, Master in Death and Heaven when he says, I'm, you know, I'm an idiot, mm-hmm. ultimately. That's what you know, that's what I am. I'm an idiot with a box. Maybe a few more of those. I'd, I mean, I yeah. still wonder, and to be fair, we don't, have, we don't have anyone we can ask, young children we can ask but how this Doctor went over young kids because I don't know how the Doctor went over young kids and the young kids sh- should really be looking at the Doctor as a hero <coughs> um, and you're I'm still, I don't know to be fair I, I was certain they would, did that with Tennant and Smith, I don't know if they look at Capaldi yet as, as the guy that's going to come along and save a day and at its most basic core is what the Doctor is mm is the one who comes along and saves the day. Um, and you add all the additional layers of the character in episodes. But at the, at the core, the Doctor's comes along, something's going wrong, he makes it right. Or she makes it right. Um, so not every, not necessarily every week. I'm not saying get rid of the abrasiveness or get rid of even some of the slight um, dickishness. But not yet... Yeah, Toned. It's kind of like I think Moffat said. With each Doctor, it's like fading out certain levels, like on a turn—not a turntable, but on a mix mix mixing desk. Yeah. Mm. You f- so you fade up certain aspects and fade down certain of each character. And I just need to fade down the dickishness a little bit and just turn up some of the some of the heroism. Not not a lot, but just a, just a bit more. Um, and yeah, I think it'll, they could be on a run. And some new writers, please.
4: Mm.
2: We mm. haven't. We we've had one woman writer in what? How many years? Nine uh, years. One like Helen Rayner is one woman writer <laughs> in in nine, nine years. We had a single person of colour writing episode yet. We're a decade in now. So yeah, so, you know mix up mix up the diversity of the writers, please, just a little bit, because you get wider perspectives and actually bring the wider, you know, freshening up, um, the show, which is like what a lot of us have been saying.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: I would let the Naimon back.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the
3: Naimon be praised!
0: <laughs> My dreams of conquest!
3: <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> let's uh, let's put an end to this. Shane, thank you ever so much for taking your time out uh, to join us on this.
2: Uh, thank you for the invite. You're Thank quite, you,
3: Shane. Quite welcome. You can hear more of Shane on the greatest events in sporting history on Simply Syndicated, and uh, also we should also give a special thanks to Rick from uh, Subway Sixty Six. And now ray guns and go go boots, which you can uh, find on Simply Syndicated. Which I have to say, I've there's only one episode out at, at uh, this time of recording, but it's pretty damn good, actually. I have to say, with uh, Rick and Richard on to a winner there. Um, also, uh, while you're on Simply Syndicated, do check out all the other great shows that we have. Um, if you'd like to write us uh, to tell us what you thought about Series 8 as a whole, you can do so at greatest Show at simplysyndicated.com. Uh, also, you can uh, visit us on our Facebook page, Emma, if you'd be so good as to tell us about that.
0: Yeah, come on over to Greatest Show in the Galaxy podcast, pop that in the search engine, and come and scribble something on our wall. Yes.
3: Uh, also, we do have a Twitter uh, page. We can find us at uh, Greatest Show Pod. And uh, with that being said, thank you, Shane. Thank you. Thank you, Emma. Love you. And we shall be back in the new year with uh, our review of the Christmas special, as well as our complete second series of Woo-hoo! stuff we of stuff we recorded earlier this year. So it might not be all together. Uh, 10th to
0: anniversary of the first series. Hype.
3: Yeah, that's... Oh, God, that's weird.
0: Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> that
3: is weird, man.
2: Oh, uh, I feel old. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yep. <sighs>